Gentlemen, let's broaden our minds. Lawrence. From Riverwalk Studio, this is the Cubic Shenanigans Warhammer Podcast. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the cube, the cube, the cube, the cube, the cube. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 67 of the Cubic Shenanigans podcast. With us today is NPR Brendan, as you can hear, hosting this episode, so you know it's 40K related. Uh, With me today (laughs) is our usual host, Dan Primaris Ancient Bears. Hello. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the show. And also with us is Troy, the Bodfather of the Plain and Slaying podcast. Thanks. Glad to be here again. So congratulations. You guys are working on recording what I believe to be episode 50. I'm a bit disappointed it's not (laughs) 49.875. We're trying. We're trying. We're going to stretch it as long as we can. So, But we might actually hit 50. We'll see. Oh, terrific. Excellent. All right. Congratulations, man. That is is awesome. Oh, you guys went right past us. Like, like, oh, well. Yeah, because we release on a... (laughs) <laughs> bi-monthly schedule. I think that's the right terminology. Yeah. Every <laughs> two weeks Everybody for everyone is. who gets confused about it, like I do. Yeah. So today we will be discussing the Grimdark Primer, where Dan and Troy will talk about their favorite books, uh, something that I am largely unfamiliar with, as everyone who has listened to the show knows. We will be talking about the Sigmar FAQ for probably... 45 seconds. It'll be a little bit longer than that, but it will be brief. The majority of the show will be book discussion. So, gentlemen, anything you'd like to add uh, to that before we get started? Just the whisper section. I think we're going to talk for those who were going to scurry away, all you Sigmar people who heard the introductions will will now go to do other things. There's a fair amount, I think, of discussion we might have that would be of interest in whispers. So at least Tune in for that, mm-hmm. and then whatever you decide. And again, all you closeted 40K guys and gals who are in, you know, listening to the podcast, I think you're really going to enjoy this this show. Right, and I, it's, hopefully it's more than books, Brendan. The idea is we'll we'll give people maybe some points that they can jump in. Hopefully, make them you know some little teasers like, hey, there's this really cool story, and whether it's an audio book or a, a book or. A, audio drama and you're like i'm kind of interested in necrons i'd love to hear you know so we're going to try and give you a bunch of little teasers and maybe mm-hmm. one of those will stick with you we'll see because <laughs> yeah. I, I agree i don't want to you, you i don't want to put you through us talking about books for whatever amount of time that's not I do exciting have a phone, so. so i uh, i can distract myself <laughs> i am a self-contained entertainment object all right with that we're going to move over to whispers hello my name is inigo montoya you kill my father. Prepare to die. All right, so whispers, hobby time. Troy, what have you been getting up to? I know on your show you tell us the answer is nothing. Is that the same answer here? Uh, it is pretty close <laughs> from a like a GW hobby. I have not. I think I have some purchases. Okay. Uh, which Purchasing is hobby. Some of that stuff. So those that kind of keep piling up. A few little the new Necrons and things keep jumping in. Uh, I think I talked a little bit on my show if people listen, but the big hobby thing I did do was the Nemesis board game. 
for some reason I got this huge motivation and I painted the whole <laughs> the whole base set for there. So wow. and it was a fun experiment because I did it kind of contrast over top of metallics and different things and the the actual heroes I did. So that was kind of gave me a little bit because I had not done yeah a whole lot of hobby in a while. So that was a, a nice accomplishment. Well, when you just mentioned Necrons. Yeah. I finally have the bases to you oh. for, for the Necrons we, we exchanged for. So they are now cool. yours officially, yeah. For those of you yeah. not here, Dan handed Troy a bag of plastic bases. They appear to be roughly 32 <laughs> to 40 millimeter rounds. Because <laughs> Troy and I did a little commerce, I and I gave him all the sprues, but I forgot to give him any of the bases for the Necrons. So now he is all set to roll. Plastic bag appears to be a Ziploc <laughs> brand. <laughs> You know what? No, I, sorry for the tangent, Brandon. You sound just like accidentally on my Roku or whatever. My daughter sometimes she loves to watch the captions. She sometimes captions. She'll turn on the audio description of a thing, and if you ever listen, it's the most annoying thing in the world. But that's very close to what you just did for which Perfect. a podcast you might need though. Right? Oh, terrific. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so Dan, what have you been working on? A fair amount. Uh, I have built and primed three different warbands for Dire Chasm. So the two that came in the box. And also I got the Beast Claw ones with the wolves and the gobos on the wolves. Ah, uh, the Beast Grave, yeah. Yeah, very nice. I have also, now in my position, I have Cogra's Raiders, which is the next Dire Chasm. What spurred on that decision there? Obviously... The Beast Claw Raiders one, as you discussed, and we'll uh, talk about that. Too. Related to that a little bit, but what brought you into this misadventure into Warhammer Underworlds? Put me in that chair. I actually had the opportunity to get a copy of this game at a relatively, very relatively <laughs> low price, and it was like, why not give it a shot? You know, as to talk about, I mentioned to a couple people. I just think this year may end up being my low model count year because i've got you know i've done night haunt so any argument against dan doesn't like hordes is is that's dead i'm just thinking about things coming down the road and you know dire chasm fairly low model count cursed city overall that's a fairly low model count even when we you know we talk about blackstone you and i try that's still a low model count really compared to a whole army so i think that's probably part of it brendan is to try something else i mean now is the time if we're going to try different things that we don't have events to go to now is the time to jump in and you know you and i talked about Mm -hmm. maybe throwing down some Mm -hmm. time troy and give it a try did you ever play any of the earlier seasons of underworld i only played the first one the first one yeah and it was okay let's see about that to answer your question Okay. Postman. Then the other thing besides that is I have built and primed my first Beast Claw Raiders box. So I now have my mm-hmm. Frost Lord on Stonehorn and my four Mornigolds. Mornfangs. Mornfangs. Ooh, gosh. <laughs> Mornfangs, yes. It's yeah. the night haunt of me talking. Four <laughs> Mornigolds would have been a very scary uh, <laughs> yeah. proposition yeah, in roughly the year 2017. Yeah, but now I've got all that done and I've still got another box of them to put together. So that's sitting out there hobby wise and. Yeah, we'll see what else comes down the road. So I've been pretty busy. Sure. Uh, that and I'm really diving into my one of my year goals I talked about, you know, my annual goals here. And I'm really starting to put some time into learning my Spanish. So I would consider that kind of a hobby. It's taken up time, you know, that kind of a thing. So those are my activities. Excellent. Excellent. And then I have been painting uh, one, some of the remainder of the Start Collecting Slaves of Darkness box. 
I have one more knight to paint. I haven't painted Varengard yet. What those are, are those? Those are, are those... just knights. Okay. Those yes, are... but they look good. That's a model for what your Varengard is going to be then. That's really nice. That is correct, yes. Yeah. I'm Very establishing nice. the paint scheme in the start collecting box, yeah. and then we're going to build out to the Varengard, and then I think ultimately Archeon. At this point, okay. uh, I think it might be a bit strange to try and approach a totally different painting scheme and process for him that wouldn't necessarily match the rest of the forces. I think that might be mm. a little visually jarring. So uh, we'll see. We'll see how I feel with the Varengard, and we'll we'll make that decision down the road. But it is the start of February, and Alex Gonzalez was doing a little bit of a painting event on Twitter. You get a start collecting or a start collecting equivalents, and you have six weeks to paint it up to, you know, roughly whereabouts, you know, Adepticon would have been. You'd share your progress on Twitter, and people have been using hashtag SCChallenge21 to kind of tag their work. So I have been painting the Caradron Overlords. Yeah, I saw this. And I am well known for painting red and copper models. It is uh, <laughs> it is my specialty. Most of yeah. my armies, 40K and Age of Sigmar, are to some degree red and mm-hmm. copper. <laughs> so I was using this opportunity to venture out, find some new paint schemes. Mm-hmm. So I'm using the Vallejo metals. I've not oh, used those before, really. I'm using green as my cloth color, so working with that. Mm-hmm. And also, if the listeners will remember, regular Brendan had <laughs> committed to upgrading his basing processes, you know, becoming more familiar with that. I have purchased the basing materials for some ice bases mm-hmm. to do that have been making their rounds on the Facebook and the Twitters. I purchased those materials yesterday, and when it becomes not a negative temperature. I can start working on uh, some of that. The utilization of actual ice is counterproductive (laughs) to the ice bases. And working on that, the five thunderers are done. Mm -hmm. I've started work on the Endron riggers and the Endron master, and then we'll wrap up with the boats. I don't necessarily have any sitting interest on painting a whole Caradron Overlord's army, but if I perhaps really enjoy the process, maybe it'll be a box or two here and there, but uh, otherwise I might just enjoy it for what it is. So that is what I've been It was a pretty good reaction when you just posted up like that first KO model, and then everybody was just kind of losing their stuff. Like, what is Brendan paint? What is this? What's he going? (laughs) I said my eyes hurt. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that was good. Yeah, I am on record frequently, at least amongst my friends groups, as hating Caradron Overlords, <laughs> primarily because Zach Lambie, one of our former guests and friend and clubmate, beats me mercilessly with them, so they do not have a warm place in my heart, and perhaps that's why they are getting ice bases. Brendan, would you say that your <laughs> hatred for KOs rivals that of the Skaven? That's pretty intense. Yeah. I hate Skaven on like a core level, where if I had been made head of games workshop for a day they would just be gone <laughs> okay. where caradron overlords i like uh, what they're supposed to be yeah. i like what they represent yeah. i like the different mechanics that they have in the game i would just make them way less annoying and okay. less of a leaf blower guard list for those of you that remember fifth <laughs> oh, edition. that's a throwback there we go yeah, yeah. yep yep 
So that's it for our hobby. Next up, kind of in our crystal ball or prognostication, we have two... One is a codex and one is a battle tome that we know is coming. And the pre-order is going to be February 13th. So I believe today, at some point during the episode, we are going to know uh, what this is. Hedonites or Drukari. What comes next? Which is first? I'm hoping it's Hedonites. But I also know that Drukari is, is being pushed pretty hard. The reason that I'm tending towards Hedonites now is a couple of articles and stories they've released are Hedonite stuff. And also right on the community page, they said very soon, they used those words, you'll be able to pre-order Hedonites. Very the soon. Books. That seems like, oh, it's just Games Workshop. But those aren't words that they use very often. Mm -hmm. They really aren't. So when I saw that, I was a little more hopeful that it was going to be Hedonites. Because we've got that whole hedging thing in February, so it could still be the 27th. Sure. We don't want that on the show, at least. We want to right, have those because we'll have to come up with another episode <laughs> in between. And so, we have limits. We are humans. So I'm hoping from the signs that... The most recent ones, anyway, that it's Hedonites. But what do you guys... I'm just knowing what you said. It just feels like they've been talking about the Hedonites just a hair more. And so, again, if I had to bet, I'd, that's where I'd put my money. What do you think? I would like it to be Hedonites, but I think expectations are the rune of us all. So I'm hoping <laughs> there that it will be Drukari, and I can either be right or I can be happy. <laughs> what is it that the Blood Ravens librarian said? Hope is the first step... On the road, on the to, road disappointment. to disappointment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. There's yeah. another oh, shoot. What's the name of the game? Dawn of War quote. You yes. know, it's relevant to this episode of Do You Hear the Voices Too? <laughs> yeah. Sure. These are characters that live in my head. <laughs> so here you go, everyone. Next up on the list here is we have seen another set of Cursed City previews. Obviously, the first was who Dan has named Matthias Thulman, the Witch Hunter, and Gravedigger Man. We have now seen some new skeleton models and oh, man. City Watch Halberd Skeleton Eye Patch Man. Which, do you really need an eye patch if you don't have eyes? It's a status thing, I think. Sure. <laughs> Well, I, I'm just assuming he had an eye patch when he had flesh, mm -hmm. and then like the flesh goes away, but the eye patch is sure. More, now, you know. how tight to his head had that eye patch have to be? If the because obviously flesh and muscle has thickness, if that melted away and the eye patch and the leather strap remained. Mm -hmm. Was that digging into his skull? Mm -hmm. or Because now he doesn't have ears to hold it up either. Yep. So you're, you're you're just, I think he's had to tighten it just over the last, whatever, centuries, however he's been doing have, have it. Either have either one of you guys it. ever heard the word overthinking? <laughs> this is it Warhammer NPR. Cool. That's the nature of the show. Yes. So for me, this question is, I've seen, it wasn't even two weeks ago we had the preview. Sure. They yes, introduced yeah. it. Now, all of a sudden, we've seen another set of models. Usually, and again, this is precedent. If we see a preview and we don't see anything mm. for a month or whatever it is, you know, we don't usually see it that often, then we know it's going to be in the fall or whenever mm -hmm. it is. This just seems really, you know, rapid fire quote. So my hope is that instead of waiting till fall, maybe we're going to wait till late spring or yeah, early this, summer. I'm hoping. This feels like an April-ish mm -hmm. kind of thing. Because if you take a release every week, week and a half, two weeks effectively, and you know that you have about five of these 
faction things to preview, mm-hmm. that would put you in that category. Okay. It's either going to be a spring release or a fall. I see no middle ground to it. So, yeah. And I think when we talked about it in the last show and talked about the preview, we had thought it would be later in the year. Just with everything else going on. So that's great news if it is earlier. Sure. Yeah. And you guys might have been the ones that talked about it. I know, isn't the GW like their fiscal year is ends in the spring or something yeah. like that? May. Second quarter? Or May, right. Mm-hmm. And so typically they do try and get, if they've done big box things where they can just get a little bit of revenue bump, right? So again, we're all just speculating. They, but that yeah. could typically be something. do new armies in May mm-hmm. that are high, new aesthetic, mm-hmm. big release kind of thing to just get... Big flash of cash, as one yep. would say. So there's that. And I'm going to let regular Brendan here make a comment. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I love these skeletons. And even though I have, like, literally hundreds of them, I'm going to need more. I don't know what this is going to look like, but I'm going to get the box because I need these models. I don't, like, I'll be happy to play the games with you guys, but... <laughs> Ultimately, these models are making it into my army as like unit leaders or like banner bearers or just something Mm -hmm. like that. They're just too cool to let that go sideways. Next item here, the Dark Angels came out yesterday, Saturday. Books are on the shelf, as it were. So And the community, the 40k community, which is one thing I do enjoy more about Sigmar. They're a little more level-headed. The 40k community, we have already, as you've heard... This is broken. That's broken. This is unkillable. The new Death Star. And I'm just like, please, fine. Just tell me what the rules are. Uh, And two of the significant things that have happened with them is they have two keywords that are very significant. One is when they... Raven, Raven yeah, thank you. Another, yeah, thank yeah. you. Another chapter. Thank you, Brendan. You're, yeah. you're welcome. Thank you, Sigmar, I, Brendan. Yeah, I know. <laughs> That's awesome. I know enough. So they have a Ravenwing keyword. So that means that any Ravenwing units automatically get the skill jink they get that special and if they get that it gives them a five up invuln save or if they advance they get a four up invuln save so you're talking about an army of outriders <laughs> that have a three up four up invuln five you know i think it's three wounds type of that's tough yep. that's tough to knock out something like that even with all the shooting in 40k it's tough it makes them really difficult and then the inner circle mm. This one is just the one that's crazy. You can give that to the Deathwing, which is their Terminators. Inner Circle means that that unit gets transhuman physiology for free. No paying command points for that. It's not a stratagem for this army, which is huge. Because that means if you're rolling to wound me and you roll anything but a four, five, or six, hello, it doesn't count. So one through three, you're not wounding me. Wow, that's insane for Terminators that are three wounds now that already have probably with storm shields a two up four up save you talked about the death guard and how tough they are sure wow <laughs> that is insane right. you're only wounding me 50 percent of the time and i don't have to do anything for that it is free that's pretty strong so those are a couple of things a couple of the mechanics yep. that people are talking about there are other things too somebody was whining about their psychic powers and i'm like no, none of these are broken. They're just part of the game. Just deal with it. And so overall, I think they're going to be fun. Yeah. I think they'll be good. What do you? What yeah, do you I mean, about? again, I haven't dug into it too deeply, but again, it, again, you always have to look at the overall. How much of that stuff can you actually get in your army? 
sure you can get it in, but it usually tends to be expensive and there's always some trade-offs. And yeah. if somebody, again, maybe somebody will somebody will find some magic way to, you know, kind of get it. But usually GW reacts to that stuff with, yeah. a, with an FAQ at some point if it really is broken. But yeah, so I, again, people get, a lot of it is... They need something to talk about too, right? <laughs> that is part of it. That is huge. Yes, thank you. Yeah, I'm happy for Dark Angels, despite the fact that Lionel L. Jerkson is their prime yeah. Despite that fact, I'm happy for my fellow 40K players. And it would be nice to Angels. see. I mean, Dark Angels, I can't even remember. Like, they have not mm. been, a, you know, a top-tier mm. army, if you want to call it that, right, for so long. No. And so if they kind of at least can be in the mix, great. Mm -hmm. It's been decades, really, I think. Yeah. So Very good stuff. Next, we had the first out-of-the-starter-box warband for Dire Chasm, Kagura's Raiders. Yeah. I actually purchased this yesterday because it fits with my current Slaves of Darkness kick, so more models to practice color schemes on. Nice. It's neat. Yeah. It's four models. They're very dynamic Chaos Warriors and then a Sorcerer of Sorts. You can't go wrong with it. Any of these Underworlds models, they just are so great. So, And I think the other reason you asked earlier about why I might get into this, I got to get those vampire models. <laughs> just got to get them. And then we saw a preview this week of one of the Bone Splitters Warband. Mm -hmm. So we know definitively, outside of the, the Shadow mm -hmm. from a week and a half ago, that it is Bone Splitters. And this is not the leader that we saw. This is one of the just dudes in the Warband. Okay. The the orc orc Vereen, as I have <laughs> seen them called, as it looks like he has Wolverine's claws. Oh, okay, that'll be very exciting. That should be out at uh, roughly the same time as the Vampires team. It's terrific. Then we have Seraphon will be the next one, and then yeah, Vampires. Okay, it's supposed to be Raiders, Seraphon, Vampires, Bone Splitters, and then. Two kind of unknowns. One is suspected to be Ideneth Deepkin, nice. if I remember correctly. Yeah, another season of eight teams that's really shaping up to be quite a stunning mix of models. Speaking of Age of Sigmar, the FAQ came out between our last episode and today, and I'll turn this over to Dan and regular Brendan to, to discuss. Yeah, so no points. <laughs> Folks out there who are saying the Night Haunt points were changed are wrong. They didn't. It was a mistake that it got loaded. The team was notified, and it got taken down. Thank you. That's how that works. Clarifying that for a lot of people <laughs> who were confused. Let's slow down. Yep. It's not the end of the world. Ultimately, though, this was a little bit disappointing, right? The lack of points is concerning because there are some things that I think anybody who has sound mind and spirit can look at and go, hmm. Those points are not where they need to be. Croak. And... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, I get that, you know, maybe you don't have the feel for, like, kind of the small nudges that, that have to be. I understand their decision to stay away from TTS data because technically that is illegal use of IP and they don't want to acknowledge that. Sure. Cool. Makes sense. I get it. Makes sense. They don't want to go down that rabbit mm. hole. That's sure. really what it is. Sure. And I'm okay with that. I think that... There are questions in the rules set that could have been, like, actually answered. You know, they, they did answer some. I think that there are some that were definitely outstanding in there. You know, for instance, they did make some good clarifications. The LRL rule with techless where, you know, you can trigger kickbacks on mortal wounds to other units doesn't trigger when friendly units use endless spells. 
because duh, like that's how that works. Yeah. The Zinch stuff clarified that you know if you keep rolling nine ups on one of these casters, you can keep casting. Yeah. That when you change one dice to another dice using the Lord of Change, you know, mm-hmm. ability, it is modifying a dice roll because obviously it is. <laughs> the Flesh Eater Courts did answer something that was being litigated in the Warhammer community kind of at length. It is explicitly what the Royal Family Battalion is. Mm-hmm. So that's cool. That's good. It means, though, that what a lot of people thought is you can't field just a ton of guys on terror guys in that battalion like it, it is supposed to be one of the either big guys or the arch regent and then the rest of the on foot heroes abhorrent ghoul kings seraphine clarified that you can't bind soul linked spells so you can't steal the obr spells and bind them to yourself core rules clarified you know who determines who takes control of an objective first then there were several incredibly stupid questions in there that were absolutely baffling <laughs> to me that I, they were included. I read some of this and I'm going, they have already answered this question a dozen times. Why did you ask this again? Why did and you need to me, answer at, it? At my level, yeah, why did you even bother with this? This, there, I'm sure there were other questions that had more value. In the rules, it says a model cannot count towards controlling two objectives effectively. Yeah. What can my model count towards holding this objective and the other one? No. And it was because I, that was a Bayonet guy saying that. It, oh, it got this huge base. You know it was. Yeah. Well, it was the, a giant guy. It was because there's only a handful of models that can that could really ever achieve this. Mm-hmm. Archeon, Alarial, Maw Crusher. Those were like those were the things before that could do it. And now that giants can kick objectives towards each other, that opens a lot more things when you're playing Bayonet. Mm-hmm. And, you know, more models would fit into that size category. But even before, there was... Four models, to- Dreadsarian, five models total that could <laughs> theoretically, theoretically hold an objective in one location mm-hmm. in two instances. Stupid, unbelievably idiotic questions. I think KO had the most impactful ones. Mm. One, it was clarifying vent plates that it is not the, we'll kind of call it the insane interpretation of that if you were within six inches of them that you're minus one forever for the rest of the game. It's just while you're within six inches of it, which is clear and obviously what the rule was supposed to be. The other one was interesting because it is a super keyword dependent and I see what they were doing with it. Basically what it is, is there is a battalion that lets your Arcanauts get out of the frigates after they fly high mm-hmm. and, at, you know, after they land. So after they move, your guys can disembark. You know, kind of like a rapid redeploy mm-hmm. you know, kind of rule. But if you play Barrack Zifflin, you can do that once per game in the hero phase. So the FAQ is saying that you cannot fly high in the hero phase, drop down, and then get out. You can fly high and then come back. It's basically saying that like these are independent of each other, but it would appear that you can still fly high in your movement phase, drop down, and still get out. That's interesting. I haven't talked to Zach on what like the implications list-wise what that is. Uh, in terms of the base sizes, there was one interesting change that you know might have caught some folks um, off guard. 65 millimeter is the size of the base. Just so everyone knows, that's that is the size of it. When you make the molded bases, some like the 60s are actually 65s when you count the taper. Okay, are we all good on that one. Mm-hmm. Everything's fine. You don't have to rebase them. <laughs> it's a 65. Everyone relax. The other one that came out was you finally got the FAQ Narada for Broken Realms Marathi, mm-hmm. and the big thing out of that 
Well, there's a couple of rules that are interesting, but the errata effectively gives you in the uh, idolaters mm-hmm. that the Warcry warbands cultists you can give them marks. Yes, if you're playing that specific subfaction. So that's neat. There's definitely some kind of cool things that you can do with the marks and all those units playing in that specific subfaction. And then it clarified that when you're playing the Stormkeep Stormcast, that the Cities of Sigmar guys can't be your generals. They right. don't actually have the specific anvils, like sub-keyword, all mm-hmm. those kinds of things. My opinion was it was ultimately disappointing. It's not what we were hoping for. It's not what we wanted. I think the reaction that the community gave was disproportionate and inappropriate for what it is. It's okay to be upset. Yeah, That's totally fine. Give your feedback. Provide it through in the normal and reasonable channels. Don't go attacking the game designers. That's not appropriate. And here's a criticism that I saw on there where they're like, you know, something to the effect of when you purchase a product, you expect something, blah, 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 whatever. Man, no. Uh, <laughs> You have purchased that product, and if the initial quality of what they have guaranteed you to, you know, is not sufficient, we can have a conversation. But if those models showed up and they were the right models, you know, they had all the pieces they need, they were fully Mm -hmm. formed, that's the end of what they owe you. Yeah. Okay? You know, we talked about expectations, you know, NPR, Brendan, talked about expectations on an earlier portion of this. Games Workshop could just decide to not writing rules. And that's it. You're not going to be able to take them to court. You're not like, you can be upset about it and you can make your own game and that's totally fine. And they can just keep selling you models. They don't owe you anything. Is it nice, you know, that this extra commitment is there? Sure. Should we hold them to a higher standard if they say that they're going to do this? Sure. But ultimately, there's something here to remember is that this is not some magical subscription service that you have signed up for where they are under an obligation to keep providing something. Mm Mm-hmm. There's a middle ground in all this. Sure. So sure is. Good. Okay. Thank you. Yeah, no problem. A lot of yeah. stuff. Troy, I know you have a lot of opinions on uh, <laughs> the Age of Sigmar FAQ. No, I don't. Okay. <laughs> all right. Well, I don't. I move my Sylvaneth army from one shelf to the other <laughs> and go, oh, I should, one of these days I should get, blow the dust off them. And... <laughs> no, that's fine. They're, where they are is probably appropriate. <laughs> all right. So that was something. Wow, Brendan was a little mm-hmm. agitated there, but it's good. It was good to hear that. Yeah, it's something. Games played. Troy, what have you been doing? Board games, racing games? Let's see what. Nothing in the GW world, unfortunately, have been thrown out. Board Game Arena has been our go-to uh, to kind of get some games on time. We've been, we played, uh, there's a new version of Carcassonne, if you guys are familiar with the oh, yeah. Kyle okay. oh, Classic, yes. one of the, oh, what I call one of the you know board game you know, basically, yeah, should be one of your like staples. Expansions yeah. and stuff. Oh, uh, it's great. Game. Yeah, and so and this it is it's a standalone. Theoretically, I think they give the it's like in the same place as the Carcassonne you're used to playing, except they went back a few hundred thousand years or something <laughs> else like that. So, so a lot of rivers and animals and some mammoths and things okay. like that. Oh, um, so it was kind of fun. Again, Carcassonne, but it uh, it feels like they. It's nice because it gives a little different for people that we played that game yeah. over and over for you know decades, oh, yeah. right? Now yeah, and uh, so it gives some new breeze of new life in it. So that's nice. been pretty good. As I painted Nemesis, that was one thing I did get some in person was the Nemesis game, which is really the movie Alien uh, as a board game. It's a lot of fun. It's a really a storytelling game if you're familiar with Dead of Winter, where mm-hmm. you can kind of have a tr- where you all kind of have your own objectives that maybe not quite all align together. That, so it creates some interesting, and I, I think if you go into it not, not thinking like, is this a, am I going to win or lose 
but more of like, hey, together we're going to kind of tell this story and it's probably going to have some interesting dynamics as we kind of, as people play off each other. Uh, I think I told the story, I can't remember if I told on my show or not, was playing with John and we basically had, my objective was just to kind of kill the queen alien person and his was to get back to Earth. And I'm like, well, if we just blow up the ship and jump in the escape pods, like I can do that. And so I would go and I hit the self-destruct timer and then he runs in a couple minutes and turns off the self-destruct timer and then i run back like what are you doing i run back in and i try and flip it back and so and at the same time you're trying to fight all these aliens and stay alive and so a lot of times you do need each other's help to kind of stay alive sure but you also have this little kind of conflict so again we played it once and we we're like so excited like oh we gotta play this again because okay was, great it was pretty good That's so i it's uh, awaken realms the miniatures are gorgeous. That's why, again, it was really easy to kind of want to paint them. And it uh, looks like it has a lot. I mean, there's a lot of replayability in that in that game. So cool. I'd recommend it if you get a chance to ever sit on it. And, and, and then the other thing we did play around with, we didn't actually play a game. But you were mentioning Tabletop Simulator. We did pull out Blackstone Fortress just to kind of mess around. We kind of we were online the other night. And we were like, oh, let's look at and see if we want to play online. And so we pulled it out. Somebody made a really nice version on Tabletop Simulator that I don't think is available. Like, my brother is like, I don't see that on there anymore. So I think GW has been trying to, like, yeah. crack down on some of that. There is some still up there. I think, like, the base game. But IP. for some reason, this one I have has, like, it has all the expansions. And I don't know how they did. Like, they have 3D models that are color of every single model in there. I'm like, how did the guy get these in there? Like, mm. somebody scanned them? Or I don't know how. Yeah, yeah I don't. It's yeah. pretty interesting. How So um, so we messed around. We didn't actually play. We kind of went through the setup, just trying to familiarize ourselves with it. And like, all right, maybe sure. it gives us some options. And, and Dan, what have you been playing? Besides Civ Beyond Earth? Sure. Nothing. Okay. <laughs> no, I haven't done any. Right, well, that was 40K. a short segment. I've decided to do, and it's going to be a lot less. I mean, I talked about it, Civ 6, there's like 30 opponents, you know, AI components. There's only about a dozen, I think, in Beyond Earth. And what I've done is I've cranked it up and I'm at the most difficult level now. Sure. And, oh my God, man, the difference, even just from the one level below that, it is rough. Man. These AIs are so aggressive. I think I've played four of them now, and I've beaten them all, but man, there were a couple of times when it was just, if I had made a different decision like two turns earlier, they would have just overrun me. This one AI, I was, I kind of positioned myself because I know they're going to rush me and they're always, because of the, what the computer does for them, they're always going to have like technical superiority. They're always going to be like one gen ahead on their weapons and stuff. So I kind of set up these kill zones as it were with the best I can. So I put up a spy satellite, which you can see everything coming. And literally he had like 15 units coming at my five units. And I felt like Rourke's Drift or something, you know? It was like, oh my God, how am I going to do this? But what I found is the value of air power. I mean, that has made all the difference for me. So if I can at least develop the technology so I have aircraft to supplement my ground forces, it's just enough. And I can beat back these waves or whatever. And there's, it's kind of funny because you don't think of turn-based strategy game being tactical. But when you're fighting these battles against these AIs, it is tactical. Like, which units do you target? You know, which units of yours do you sacrifice? If It's just, there's a lot of thought going on, so it's almost a game within a game at this next level. I've never played Beyond Earth like this before, so it's been really cool. I've really enjoyed it. And I look forward to every, even though I know all the opponents, I look forward to them to see what they're going to do to me. So anyway, that's what I've been playing. Excellent. How about you? I really haven't been playing much. XCOM 2 went on sale mm. on Steam. The 140 something dollar bundle was 20 bucks. Wow. 
So I said, well, twist my arm if you must. Because for some reason, my YouTube algorithm recently has been steering me towards XCOM clips. <laughs> and you learned here that I can be manipulated. It was like, oh yeah, I remember playing the XCOM Enemy Unknown in college. And I was like, oh yeah, I remember that. That was a good time. And like last week I went to go look at it and I was like, oh, $140. Well, I guess we'll just wait and then... Your think, patience was yeah. rewarded. Yeah, patience of all of five days, I think. My friend texted me and he goes, Hey, it looks like XCOM is just 20 bucks. Yeah. I was like, Well, my weekend is sorted. <laughs> uh, I put in about 10 hours yesterday. Whoa. Oh, God. And Jeez. I had truly forgotten how outrageously frustrating that game can be. Maybe I'm just the idiot or something, but like I was constantly having to recycle like rookies mm -hmm. out into the field. Mm -hmm. Because, like, in the early game, like, no one has any skills, and you're outnumbered, and, like, your action economy is all sorts of goofed up. But I have recently purchased the Guerrilla Training School, and now I can field six people instead of four. Oh, wow. And I have this super mega awesome DLC robot that I didn't realize <laughs> yeah. I should have waited to go get. Hmm. There's an option that appeared to me kind of early, and I was like, yeah, sure. And they're like, difficult level of difficulty of mission difficult <laughs> it's like whatever and it was difficult it was really yeah. difficult mm -hmm. i basically lost all of my they didn't die but they were like gravely mortally incapacitated yeah. for like almost an entire month in some cases that was lovely in exchange got this super mega awesome robot guy and he is bonkers saves my butt in basically every mission to this point nice. where he is actually the highest ranking member of my team <laughs> so good for you robot man but he does have a bunch of totally useless abilities that sound really cool on the front end and i don't know how to make them not useless uh, so there's that so i have been doing that and probably after we end this i'm just gonna go back to my house and do some brief cleaning, and then also go back to playing XCOM. <laughs> That's great. I really need to be painting those KO, but oops. I never played XCOM. The only familiarity was Fantasy Flight actually did a board game version. Mm -hmm. I don't know, what, eight years ago, man, something like that? And it was, like, at that time, cutting edge, because it was one of the first board games that had a like an app component mm -hmm. and a lot of people lost their minds on that right that was the whole thing you know i didn't have a lot of familiarity with it but it was a pretty fun board game for my and people who knew xcom actually i believe thought it was a pretty good yeah. kind of translation on that it that video but, game is so stupid hard sometimes yeah. well the board game was hard too i mean you basically were playing against the ai right the the app it would just throw the worst thing to happen to you right each turn would be like oh look there's more people attacking you right it was kind of thing but that's my only my uh, brush with xcom so i know sure, that a lot sure. of people yeah have lost whole what days weeks and whatever to it but oh, yeah. <laughs> it's true i'm there uh, i think that's it for whispers anything from anybody no okay all right so we're going to move on to the emperor lies where Dan and troy will talk about books and audio dramas which are really just yearbooks I mean, what are we, a team? No, 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 we're a chemical mixture that makes chaos. We're, we're a time bomb. All right, we are back with the Emperor Lies segment. This is the Grimdark Primer. So I'm going to turn this over to you two. This is really a scope and project that you understand, but my understanding here is that you want to walk us through different stories that the listeners should be aware of 
in the 40k universe where to start there's a lot of books there's a lot of things Mm -hmm. you have a whole website dedicated to the chain of events in the horse heresy series obviously a lot of books (laughs) and i think when troy and i talked about this listeners what we're trying to do here is give you a feel for if you want to and you have any interest in the heresy and 40k and and in dominus as well we're going to give you some baby steps to kind of if you want to put your foot in the water and see what it's like and then if you like it there's a lot of other things to do here we're going to break it down into different kind of categories that we feel are appropriate again this is a primer this isn't you know the whole story because we could troy we could spend an hour and a half talking about (laughs) one book right yep yep okay but like when we talk about the characters most of the characters we're going to talk about have at least three books so we're going to tell you what the first book is to introduce you to that character. And if you really love Eisenhorn, well, then literally there's five more books when you count Ravener. You know, or if you want to, you read about Uriel Ventress and you really like his first book, there's six more books. There's one coming. So that's the kind of thing that we're talking about here so that you can target your interests and we can help you decide maybe something that you haven't even thought would be of interest to you. So, Troy, we're going to start with Heresy Must Reads. And there are three books and a coffee table book here. <laughs> so do you want to talk about the premier first book that you need to read if you want to understand the heresy so that would be horse rising dan abnett Mm -hmm. 2006 i had to go back and look and remember (laughs) what long time ago but i believe it's one of the uh, to me it's one of the best and again it'll be interesting because dan and i are are a little we we like similar things but we have some our own taste so you'll Mm -hmm. see a little different thing i mean i am a, a dan abnett complete fanboy i will say mm-hmm. that yeah, from day cool. one but i just think it's a great and dan has done you'll see that through here there's so much of the 40k lore that actually came from a lot of the early dan books yes. right i think as we go through there'll be a little bit of that that you'll see in there which is interesting Aaron. but horse rising is just again the first book to kick off this now 50 some book right I don't think they knew. They didn't know what they were getting at when they start. But Dan did such a great job of kind of setting the tone. And and I can it's kind of like this is one of the books I can literally remember where I was on a plane going, flying to the East Coast for some reason when I cracked it open. And, you know, there's very few books where you can remember exactly when's the first thing. The opening line, I was there the day Horace slew, slew the emperor. You immediately are like, what? Like, well, hold it. I know the story, right? No. And uh, <laughs> but from that is uh, it's just been amazing. If you're going to read a lot of books, then even if you're maybe you're not even in 40K, it's just a really good, a good starter and it'll get you down that path. I remember talking to Graham McNeil about mm-hmm. this book because we were talking about the, some of the heresy stuff Graham has done. And somehow we ended up looping back. And, and I think he was the one who mentioned that first line, too, and how it grabbed him and like got him excited around some of that. So um, so Horace Rising. I think I have about three different versions of it mm-hmm. that I've <laughs> over the years. It is kind of a, it is the book probably for and the heresy. There are just so many characters who mm-hmm. are central to the story throughout the story that they're just threaded yeah. through it. That if you don't read this book, you won't understand the context of who they are. And it was the first, again, we won't go an hour and a half on horror on this, but it was one of the first times you saw the Primarchs in a book and the way that Dan was able to create the way they appeared, at least for me, like as this superhuman mm-hmm. God, you know, somewhat, but again, they still interacted with their troops and things like that. And the way he was able to do that was the first time we had seen, ever seen Primark. Before that, they were always just kind of, people talked about him, but you never saw them as characters. One of the things to listeners that I think is so important about reading this, and I think the authors throughout the series do a great job of, is they give you different perspectives of the 
the Primarchs, whether they're loyalists or traitors. Like, if you read this book, you will not recognize mm -hmm. Horace Lupercal. Mm -hmm. You read about him in other books and what people say about him as, you know, the traitor and all these things. That is not who this person you're reading about is. And it's so cool to see this different side of Horace in this book, which is really nice. And, and so, yeah, it's definitely an amazing book to read. Just in itself yep. you, if you, but if you read this you will read more you'll read more there's no question yeah because it's the, and you're pointing out that is the heresy is a tragedy overall yeah. it's this giant overall tragedy and, by, and it sets this up and like you said you don't recognize Horace but if you know what happens it starts just starting this like oh like you see this mm -hmm. tragedy already starting to unfold, <laughs> to unfold and it's great yeah. I'm going to kind of jump mm -hmm. on the next mm -hmm. two books quickly the, the next mm -hmm. one is False Gods and this is Graham's book mm -hmm. This is when the real change, this is when it introduces the concept of chaos and demons and those things get introduced here. You understand why they're treated the way they are in the books. You understand why the emperor has made choices he has about exposing people to these concepts in real. So that's really what, the, and that's the start of it. Now, Galaxy in Flames, there is when the heresy goes into action, when it is actually started. Okay. That's when these first acts of treason begin. Mm -hmm. So those, that's what those two books are. And the fourth book, I think, is Flight of the Eisenhorn. By this time, and that's really where it talks about more, a little bit more detail. It's, there's some really important character development we'll talk about. But so those are the, that is the, the base trilogy. Now, the one yeah. other book that we wanted to talk about real briefly is the Horus Heresy Collected Visions. This is a coffee table book, lots of art, lots of amazing yeah. things. If you don't want to read 40 some books, <laughs> you read this book. I'm just saying, and it is, it is a magnificent book. If you want to read Horus Rising in a about five pages you could read it in five pages yeah and it'll and it, it's from the i mean it's fairly old this is when back in the were we in the 90s early yeah. toast when saber they basically gw had i think it was Sabretooth games had done a collectible card game for that and part of that though they created all this artwork and then mm -hmm. they also worked with alan merritt i think to flesh out a lot of the more of the history and some of the gaps in that yep. and so all that ended up there and then that game like every other collectible card game kind of <laughs> went by time but it left around these great artifacts and they yes. and some they collected them originally and i think there was four different volumes and then they've collected them in, in a large hardcover um, yes. that i have and it's it's great to kind of get you no know, what's funny is i didn't i actually kept myself from ever going back to that book because mm -hmm. i didn't want to like i know i knew the story and whatever that but i still wanted to see it unfold through a lot of the novels as it's been over the last years and only recently i've actually kind of gone back to it and like looked through some stuff and and especially as we've gotten into the siege because there's a lot of oh. a lot of that book actually overlaps a lot of the stuff that happens now that we're in the siege of yes. terra yeah. Uh, which is really good. And one of the things that was interesting somebody told me about this book was, he said, remember, this is written from the imperial point of view. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and you really see that yeah, yeah. when... It, when you're reading it, you're going, oh, yeah, th there's no way that anybody else had input into this thing. You know, the winners always write the history. This is a very perfect example of that in this book, but it's it's still excellent. So those are the must reads. Now, the next thing we want to talk about is a couple of major events that, again, thread throughout and are referenced at some point in the heresy. So the first one of them is another grand book. It's called Mechanicum, and it's about the Martian schism. So it's when Mars revolted against the Imperium. And 
And this is critical because Horus would not have had literally probably half the forces that he did. He wouldn't have had any of his titans, anything, if it hadn't been for this schism. So it's just a wonderful book that explains what happened on Mars, why it happened, how they got corrupted, who the survivors were, who the loyalists were, who fought on. The other thing is there's really interesting short stories that have come out Mm -hmm. that reference these kind of insurgents who are still fighting all the way up until Mars is recovered after the siege. It's just such an important event because you continuously are exposed in the heresy books to the dark mechanicum, Mm -hmm. which are the forces that rebel. And once you read this, you understand who they were and why they became what they were. Yeah, and it's just really because I not that it gets I think it gets a little bit overshadowed by a lot of the other Mm -hmm. stuff in the heresy but it really I think that book does a good job of kind of also I think they touch a little bit on just when the emperor actually Mm -hmm. took took Mars or kind Mm -hmm. of went to Mars and kind of got them underneath the fold and and some of the that some of the conflict that happened there Troy to your point is that we hear the term omnissiah yeah. all the time. So the Martians, the, the Mechanicum, they worship the emperor differently than everybody else. He's the omnissiah. And that was when that was created. Yeah. That's when he became to them their god, uh, which is interesting, too. You see that kind of, I don't know what the term yeah. is. So, again, I think someone who, if someone's really into, if you're in the Mechanicum, the, Adeptus Mechanicus, and you have mm. an, ar- right, an army here, and you're looking like, how do I kind of flesh stuff out? Again, this book, and like you said, it sets the groundwork for there's a lot of little short stories that are pretty cool with that. And just understanding, too, that can kind of tarot, there was also an effort. Mars actually had gone to the other side, and it's Mars, right? Like, that's just the one planet over. It's not like... No, it's not very far. Yeah, and then all the refugees that came and were the kind of the good side of the Mechanicum that actually were then on Terra, and they were kind of refugees and displaced. And there's yeah. a lot of stories that happen in that. So it, it's a really great, again, they're pulling it out as just books that kind of set the stage for a lot of other stuff that goes on. And then the other book that we talked about for major events <laughs> is Master of Mankind. And one of the things that this is so critical to read this book is when you think about how Horus became War Master to begin with, it was, I'm not giving anything away mm-hmm. here, it was because the emperor decided he needed to work on something else that was at least more as important as the Great Crusade. This helps you understand what the emperor's great secret project was that pulled him away, which in one way instituted, yep. it be- began the thoughts of treachery and those things. Understanding that in this book, you understand a lot better why some of the things happened in terms of the heresy. Really important. Again, it's Aaron Dembski-Bowden. So as yeah. again, I'll, I'll show a lot of bias in that respect. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> but it was one of the first time because again, up to, and I don't know, that book was 30. I mean, you're well in years, you know, maybe even a decade into the heresy kind of telling. And the emperor had always been off to the side. I mean, like you hear him and he would kind of appear. There's a couple of books where he yeah. kind of shows up, but never, you know, just speaking. And this was the first one that, and again, it's not directly. He's not a never, he's never a point of view character, but you'll get custodies and stuff who are very close to him and right next to him. And this is the first one to really look at the emperor. And Which, to your point, a- that's really important is it also introduces us really down close and personal to the custodians. Mm-hmm. We've never really had that before. Yep. The one other kind of neat little thing that's introduced here is Ark and Land. 
<laughs> and anybody who plays 40k has heard of land speeders and you know land raiders and all this yeah. this is the guy who created these things and you're gonna find kind of his backstory which is fun yep. to re- oh I know who that guy is and yeah, yeah and he's a great character I don't because I don't know if we have him in our character list but he is a great character he only shows up a few places but the he's way very eccentric except, right it's this perfect. crazy genius kind of person exactly who you'd think of, of someone who's kind of in that so it's yeah, yeah. Aaron Dembski volume did a nice job of kind See, of making him a character I thought for sure that those were named because it was a speeder over land and a raider of the land. Well, you learned something today. And if they were an air raider, it would be because it was a flying machine or like an aqua raider. So, wow. Wow, good stuff. I have learned something and that's it for me today. (laughs) (laughs) No, that said, I don't, there may have been in the 40K, right? The history may Mm. be fluid in some respects. Like, you know, History is a solid thing and never changes. How dare you? Uh, Especially in a fictional universe. So those are the first five books. I'm not going to count the tabletop one that we want to talk yeah. about that are pretty critical and, and then next, i don't know if you want to so i'll just i'll give a plug oh, yeah. like again we can go way down the rabbit hole and there, we'll touch on a few heresy books related to other things but okay. again like brennan was mentioning on basin of death i do have a an article that's up there your web page that covers every single book in the heresy my thoughts and i always say your mileage may vary <laughs> my thoughts on Flow how to approach it out <laughs> on, on how to approach oh, yeah. it and i've also added in there kind of what are the kind of the critical books to hit some of the high points and they hit a lot of the things we've hit in here but I have like 12 to 15 books because a lot of the question and I've gotten a lot of comments even on people that have seen that page for me like all right you're giving me all this stuff but I really don't you know people are coming new at like I don't know how I can't it's an read 50 books right climb. which books should I kind of read and so I kind of have that in there and, and we'll touch on a lot of the ones in there but if you want to jump there and kind of go deep dive and especially in the just the heresy just remind us of yeah. the website again uh, basementofdeath.com and you'll okay. see the link on, that's the top article so it's always kind of linked on the top because <laughs> it's for some reason the Thank only you. thing that useful I've ever written on there I guess so that's <laughs> great no that's great that's a good resource to follow up this the next thing we're going to talk about is specific space marine chapters mm-hmm. and the books that we feel are kind of the critical book. They're very important books to read if you want to find out some of the origins of the legions or how they were first involved with the heresy. The first one is Thousand Sons, which obviously... This is another Graham book, Graham McNeil yep. book. And it gives you a great perspective. Again, you don't get the traitor side so much. You get the side of a loyal legion that has been, that something has happened to. Won't say what happened. These guys don't start out as traitors. And, but you really empathize. I think, Troy, would you agree the way it's written? Mm-hmm. You, you're like, these guys are awesome. What the heck? Are they, what are you doing to them? And then there's also in this book, the discussion of when the Space Wolves came to prosper and what happened there. There's a much there's another book right after that it writes the same story from the space wolves perspective which is really interesting but thousand sons is definitely the first book you want to read there are many other books on magnus and everything else but this is really really a great book the next book is probably one of my favorite heresy books and it is called legion and it is about the alpha legion basically how they became quote traitor legion i still i'm one of those people who still believes that the alpha legion were never really traitors this is their book i mean what do you think of it it uh, is i mean i also don't want to set because i think 
where people sometimes, you, this book is very mixed. It, it is very mm -hmm. polarizing. But I yes. think a lot of times it's when people do go in and they're like, oh, it's going to be Alpha Legion, Space Marine, whatever. And this book is not. It's mm. not at all. It's, mm -mm. It helps you understand like the Alpha Legion, they are not in, in, in your face, very kind of at you. They are work <laughs> behind the scenes. They are kind of the you know, infiltrators and so forth. But so this book is really more about almost a spy novel, a little bit of a thriller. You get introduced to the Perpetuals for some of the first mm -hmm. time. So, yeah, there's some. So, again, I think it's a super critical book. But also, I think people need to set expectations that this is not going to be shoot them up, bolters, whatever. It's going to be understanding the Alpha Legion as more of an infiltration force and, it, and their influence. And to your point again, that it really sets up for mm -hmm. when you see how the Alpha Legion participates in the heresy later yeah. on. You're right. It tells you what their MO is going to be. And this is how they work. And then you see how they work on and you. You see how people who are part of the Alpha Legion work and you can refer back to this book and picture some things that were happening. So that, that's a great point. What about probably my, I think my favorite heresy book. What do you think about First Heretic, which is Word Bearers? It makes you understand, especially after you read the first trilogy the first three hmm. and you're kind of you think you know who the who the bad people are right? <laughs> who's kind of and then this book really just kind of gives you a whole different view <laughs> of kind of Lorgar and the the word bearers and and air and then really in the end you already kind of hate Erebus but you're just going to continue to hate Erebus <laughs> and like he's kind of the bad guy but it, it is I mean it's again people are I think on both sides of it I you know I find Lorgar is an interesting character and he Ugh. does like I see that's funny like I I find him kind of interesting not as much oh, as like we talked you know a little bit on not as much as Magnus because Magnus barely feels like just kind of was on a path and just took a few missteps and mm -hmm. could have been her. Lorgar is a little more deliberate, but I find him an interesting character around his motivation for, you know, where he ended up. And, and so he's not misguided in any way. I think oh. he's there, but he's an interesting character. I think one of the things, too, you talk about how the, the first part of the book gives you a different perspective and sets up the word bearers as something different than you think they are. He also writes some amazing characters that you have to empathize mm -hmm. with, like Cyrene. I mean, mm -hmm. Cindy, whenever I listen yep. to the book, she's oh. always like, yeah. where's Cyrene? It's like, yep. That's her favorite character. Argyll Tall, who mm -hmm. is very critical to the series, they're... Word bearers, you can't hate. Right. I mean, you just right. can't, no matter right. how hard you try. Right. So it's interesting that he even does that with the characters, tries to make you conflicted right. as you're reading the book, going, <laughs> what am I supposed to be thinking yep. here? It, it, so that's, I think, the brilliance of First Heretic. Yep. What about the next one? What do you got? The White Scars, which is Aptly the con. Scars. Scars, <laughs> right. And it's basically the con. And him, and this actually is a gap for me. I have not read a whole lot in mm -hmm. on that. It, but what I've heard is that People, this book is really good and sets up uh, the understanding of the White Scars and, and that chapter. And so, again, if you are a White Scars fan, everything I know is read this book. Yes, for sure. <laughs> and, do it. and it is a, it's something on my list to kind of go back and fill in some gaps. That said, I don't think Scars, the book itself, doesn't move the plot ahead a little bit. It's no. more about filling in the background. And all these books, that some again, there's kind of stuff, you, certain books that move the plot ahead a little bit, and there's other books that just continue to flesh out the world and the characters. And again, these books are more yeah. focused on a legion, which yep. is why we're going to talk about that. The next one, it was so revealing. I don't think a lot of people know where the Death Guard came from. Mm -hmm. I really don't. And I thought that Buried Dagger, which is the Death Guard book, I'm going to, which really 
talks about how the Death Guard became what they are. Not so much the fact they were already traitors, but they become this pestilent. Just when you look at the models, you're like, I get what they are. This book explains how they became that because they were not. I mean, Nathaniel Garrow was a Death Guard. Mm-hmm. Yep. You know, we'll talk about Garrow. And this talks about there was a certain very prominent character that you still have on the tabletop mm-hmm. who was really the vector. If you wanted, you know, mm-hmm. reference diseases, he was the one who brought this to the Legion. And mm-hmm. this book talks about him. So from that perspective, if you want to know the origins of how the Death Guard became what they are today, Barry Dagger is your book. Yeah, and that's James Swallow, mm-hmm. who, who is known for a lot of Blood Angel Writes and, most and, of the and Battle Garrow books. Sisters of yeah. Battle kind of books yep. on that. So again, one of the Excellent. good things. And uh, yeah, and so if you're if you want to know Martarian, it's really Martarian's mm-hmm. fall, right? Yeah, kind of in this it really thing, is. It was, I mean, he is. I don't know real spoilers, but up to this point, what was interesting, right, is he wasn't. He was trying not to really fall to chaos in this book. Tips him over yeah. the edge. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and interesting enough, you, you're going to read at some point if you're reading the heresy about the Edict of Nikea, which is where the Emperor forbade the Space Marine Legions to use. And this was really focused at the Thousand Suns. It was a trial they had. The Emperor said, no psychic powers. You cannot use psychic powers, Space Marine. It turns out that Mortarian was one of the people who was the most vehement in supporting that edict. Mm-hmm. He he did not want anybody using psychic powers. So if you read this book, you're going to go, whoa, <laughs> okay. Very good stuff. Brendan, you were going to... How does that relate to... Obviously, because in the game now, in Death Guard, they do have, mm-hmm. like, this book what am will, I missing? This book will help you understand uh, why that happened. Got it. And speaking of which, let's just skip mm-hmm. one on the list. Let's go to No No Fear. Kind of referencing your question, mm-hmm. Brendan. It's an Ultramarines book. And it really, I think, Troy, you know, tell me if I'm off on this, but I think it's really the first book that focuses on the Ultramarines. Yeah. I think so. Yep. And this is taking place on Kalth, which is one of their major planets. Basically, we're not going to give a whole lot away, but it's the Ultramarines are unaware of what's happened around them, strangely enough. And one of the things is that whole Edict of Nicaea has a huge effect on the story here. And you're going to read it, and then, Brendan, you would go like, Oh my God, that was really stupid, you know. When you and so it's interesting, and then you see the evolution of that. You see Gilliman going, "Well, that was stupid." Yeah, it, yeah. So it's really kind of kind of interesting. But it's it's basically Alpha Legion to get or word bearers against Ultramarines, and yeah. it gives you a good idea of how the Ultramarines function as a chapter, even and their home worlds and yeah, and all those things. Dan, really and Dan Abnett. So I'll yes. give the plug, Dan Abnett book, and it is after again the first four-ish books. I felt like this was the next book that then kind of started to move the plot ahead again yes. a little bit. Yep. I mean, there's a lot. They keep filling in stuff, but then this yep. is the book that really kind of the battle for Kelth kind of just now accelerated a yep. lot of the heresy. And I might even suggest reading First Heretic before you <laughs> read this. Mm-hmm. I think that would be a good compliment, don't yep. you? Because then you would understand why it's happening even. So the next one was the Fulgrim book. It called Fulgrim, and it's about the Emperor's children. What do you think about Fulgrim? I'm on the record of being super torn about this book. I, I again, and I, I knew I know it's a Graham McNeil book. I just I find it as a book hard to get through. Mm-hmm. Um, there again, it's just there's it's kind of a I feel like a little bit of a slog to get through. But there are some really high points in the book, so mm-hmm. it's like there are some cool things that happen, and it really tells the tragedy of Fulgrim in this mm-hmm. in the scheme of things and the Emperor's children. But there's hard it's it in my mind also it's so like full of despair. Like <laughs> in the end, like I slogged through this seven hundred page book 
and I feel terrible at the end. Like, it's, yeah. like there's no yeah. there's no redemption in this. It's and just if, setting you up for that. But it, again, it, if you're an Emperor's Children fan or yeah. Fulgrim, you're gonna like this eat it up. I'm not. I'm not a huge one. But and there are some, again, if you, know, I always tell people, if you kind of know the heresy, you know know the story maybe you don't need to read it I'm if, with you, you, don't, I'm if you don't yeah, if you don't yeah if you don't uh then i would definitely recommend it because there's some definitely some things here that are crucial and you need to understand okay the next chapter is we just talked about the dark angels getting a new supplement is the dark angels and i put both of the books here because i think you really need to read both, both. of these books <laughs> or you don't understand luther and the lion because really that's <laughs> what the dark angels to me that story is about is those two people so the two books are descent of angels that's the first one where the emperor comes to caliban and then fallen angels is where things start happening and what's weird to me at least Troy, is that this all really happens outside the context of the heresy, which is weird. Yep. That is part of the heresy books, but this is a whole separate thing that's going on. And to me, for me, as I read these books, I, you kind of have to make a choice too. You have to choose a side. You have to choose the lion or you have to choose Luther. And I'm going on record as saying I'm a Luther guy. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just letting you know. Uh, so that's kind of where it is. And if you're interested, if you're a Dark Angels person, you really should read these yep. books because then you will understand perfectly why. Th- you'll understand some of the rules for the army mm-hmm. and you'll get what the fallen are and all those things. So, yeah, totally great. I, it's if you're a Dark Angels person, this gives you all a lot of the history, helps you understand that. Again, I kind of always recommend for people who are trying to get through the heresy, like you can skip these and come mm-hmm. back because they could. don't, like you said, they're off on their thing. I actually recommend recommend the third book in that series as, mm-hmm. as kind of read because it is more in mm-hmm. continuity around some of that. And I think they're all Gav Thorpe, who's yep. been kind yes. of the, the Dark Angel guy yes. for, uh, for a long time. Okay, the next two books are going to be trader books to talk yep. a little bit about them. So the first one will go to his Night Lords. Uh, again, if you are a Night Lords fan, you need to start with Soul Hunter. It's basically about, it's really post-heresy. These are 40K <laughs> yeah. Night Lords books. It centers around a Night Lords Terminator and his squad. And his name is Talos, I believe yep. it was. Uh, so if you're interested in Night Lords, there's three books in the series right now. Read them. Now this is again we're focusing on specific chapters. The second book is Black Legion. There's two. There's Talons of Horus, yes. and then there's Black Legion. Black I Legion. Legion yeah. is the second book. So yeah. there's two books about the Black Legion. Again, this is post heresy. So if you're interested in them, though, you're thinking of starting a Chaos mm-hmm. Army or something. I found these hard to get through. I just did in reading. I enjoyed yep. them yep. very much, but they were very difficult to read through. They're just something about the writing style or whatever. And, I and, and these are so both of them are Aaron Dembski Bowden. Yeah, eighty. Uh, very. Good. Good. And uh, the Night Lords trilogy is, again, a little older. It was interesting in that it is one of the first times of help giving some, like, all right, how does the Chaos Warband actually make it from one day to the next, right? And so it's really kind of cool because it is it's these guys, like, we have no headquarters. Like, where do we get ammunition? Who fixes it? Like, it it's great because a lot is. of it is just kind of this Warband trying to scrape things together yeah. to keep fighting after, you know, thousands of years. And so, so that's great. And unlike Dan, I love the the Towns of Horus and Black yeah. Legion. And I don't know if we have him in there. So, again, they, what's interesting is you do see, who's, his name is escaping me. Who's the big bad guy? Abaddon. Abaddon. This Ooh. is kind of the early you know, showing up of Abaddon. And mm-hmm. how did he actually, you know, pull together the Black Legion out of the remnants of the Sons of Horus and so forth? So that's the one thing I did find about these books is just like you know, some books have given me like the first book gives you a different perspective of Horus. These two books give you a totally different perspective of Abaddon. He is not disgraced, bloodthirsty. He, I mean, he's very thoughtful. He's very 
decisive man he's just not this crazy person and you're reading yeah. going wait a minute where's Abaddon it's really yeah. interesting but well, I love the way they treat yeah. him differently I yeah love and that. I think it actually gives you a lens that when you actually are back in reading the heresy books mm-hmm. kind of knowing where he becomes you're kind of, you kind of put that lens mm-hmm. on him when you see him up here in the heresy and you realize oh what is he really you know you can tell he kind of he's, he's not kind of the crazy guy or whatever and, and, and even but, when you read about him in the siege yep He's much more the thoughtful, hey, guys, wait a minute. We should think before we do this kind of. And you're like, no way. You see the model and you're like, he's insane. No, he's not. Yeah. And he's the one. Yeah. Again, no spoilers, but he always kind of like at this point, you know, even in the sea, she's like, I don't know if Horace really is all here. Like, is he really like, I don't know. I'm going to have a plan B. It feels like. Awesome. Okay. And then I had one to throw on. You mentioned it was the Space Wolves was uh, Prospero Burns. Again, and that's Dan Abnett. And it's what I love is it actually is this. It's a parallel book to Thousand Suns. So it tells the same events. It's one of those where okay, you know all the events that happen, but this totally from the Space Wolf side. And it is, was one of the first books to really, I mean, Abnett went at it and really, I don't know, call it re-sculpted, kind of re-architected the, the lore of the Space Wolves to turn them from kind of these drunken Vikings, which I think mm-hmm. in previously in 40K lore had they always been, he really added a ton of depth. And that has now propagated, I think, you know, more into 40K and to kind of, and not that everybody didn't take him seriously, but you you don't see that Viking, drunk Viking stereotype space marine anymore. You, you see this the ones that Dan kind of created in Prospero Burns. And that's a great point because you see a different perspective of them in Thousand Suns. <laughs> and then you get this, you're right. So Prospero Burns is right after Thousand Suns. To read them yeah. Yeah, read them, read them, yeah, read them back to back. Yeah, yeah but absolutely. they actually cover the same right. time period, which is cool. Yeah. And but you'll get again expectations. It's the way he tells it through the character that he tells it is totally yes. interesting. Also, yes. it's not just a space marine fighting book. It's more right. than that. All right, so we're gonna take a quick break there, and then we'll come back with the rest of uh, some of the other books and more current events in the 40k universe. Here's to five miserable months on the wagon and all the irreparable harm that it's caused me. Welcome back, listeners, for part two of the Grimdark Primer. So, Dan, I believe next up we have characters of interest. Yeah. So these are just Troy and I throwing some things out, some uh, characters that we feel have a lot of development and they may not have this huge effect individually on the <laughs> heresy and the lore and stuff, but they, they're kind of lore unto themselves, a lot of these yep. characters. And it we've kind of hit a lot of different things because we'd like to see if we can hit somebody's interest mm-hmm. when we do this. And the first one who... He and Ibram Gaunt, we're going to talk about, are really yeah. close for me. There's a guy named Caiaphas Kane who is a commissar. If there is any 40K books that have a fair amount of humor, mm-hmm. this guy is very self-effacing, but he's still very serious. Mm-hmm. And, you know, but he's just so different for a commissar. And the first book that he has is called For the Emperor. If you enjoy this book, it's by all his books are by Sandy Mitchell, yeah. you will love Caiaphas Kane, if you enjoy this book, it's just so fun. I mean, again, he's just talking about the even in the audio drama, he's going, Well, if I didn't, you know, he's making these little quips, and yeah. you're going, You're about to be had yeah. your head cut off by some Drew Carey, you know, witch, and you're just, you're kind of making yeah, yeah. fun. It is like, I need more characters like this. I would recommend him for sure. Uh, and we're going to talk about an audiobook that he has yep. as well, that if you're interested in him at all, but just a great character and he things like just the way he treats his soldiers 
is so different than what you expect for a commissar. (laughs) You have to love him because there's that humorous part. There's that light part of this of his stories that really move you along and make you not feel like it's the Grimdark so much, even though they're Necrons charging at him, you know, that kind of thing. So what do you think about Caiaphas? And so Caiaphas Cain is a gap in my reading, but I will, again, we'll get to it and maybe we'll just cover it now, right? Is that if you do want to, I did listen to the auto drama. That was like my dip my toe in because I've heard so much about him. The devil uh, you know? And uh, I think so. I think that's the, the one, one with the dark Eldar yeah. Yeah. and the yeah. Tyranids book. Yeah. And, yeah. And, yes, that's the one. Yeah, that's and it's a great audio drama too. We'll, we'll get yeah. in that one. And I know um, a friend of mine, Marlon, he's recommended these for a long time, really yes. finds them enjoyable. And it's funny. And we just discovered kind of, again, maybe related to where we're going at, Ty had just kind of thrown out to our group recently. He's like, I'm looking for a book that kind of has Necrons and an ice world. And, you know, the Lord engines kind of go, the savants go and dig some stuff up. And there is, there is, yeah, Caves of Ice, which is like the second trilogy in the, in the series. I'm like, so now that's on my list. I'm like, oh yeah, it'll be interesting. Mostly for uh, the one that's got Necrons and ice. It sounds fun. It's got orcs and everything. So cool. So that's Caiaphas Kane. The next guy it is absolutely mm-hmm. a legend in the Grimdark. It, there's no way you can call him anything else. I think the War Master was the 14th book, 13th or 14th yep. book in the series. It, this is all Dan Dan. Damn Dan. It. I can still remember my first 40K book was First and Only. Yep. I still remember the cover. I remember reading the story and going, this is insane. I love this story. Uh, and Gaunt is, again, a commissar, but he's a unique commissar, and he's a colonel commissar. He was actually given the command of a unit, which commissars never get. There was part of units. So he's a very unique character. And again, the way that he treats his guardsmen is so unique to commissars but there's no there's not a lot of humor this is very Mm -hmm. different than Caiaphas Kane but the story is just amazing and him as a person the character development is just so good and the difference I think the main difference for me with these two is Caiaphas Kane pretty much meets anything that is bad for the Imperium. Chaos, orcs, mm-hmm. necrons, uh, tau, everything. He'll run into them. Gene stealers, you know. Really, um, Ibram Gaunt is pretty much fighting chaos because yep. it's during the Sabbath World well, Crusade. Right. So his focus on bad guys in the story is chaos, which is a little different if you want a little more variety. But this, the books are just exceptional. I definitely, and the first book, again, is first and only. Yeah, and it was my, again, I, I think we have, I don't know what the date is. It's really 1999 mm-hmm. when it came out. So it, this was one of the first, like, just 40 Just a few K. years ago. Just a few, yep. yeah. <laughs> For Dan and I, it was just yesterday. Yes, that was sure. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> but it, it, I mean, it was like, it was actually, cre- and we talked about Abnett creating the 40K world in some mm-hmm. respects. And it's this book that kind of did a lot of the stuff around, a Vox cast. Like, there was things that just didn't exist. And as he wrote this book, like, we need to have names for this kind of stuff. You know? And it's funny Low because... Low sticks, cap, you know, all the different things. Like, what day-to-day, what does day-to-day life look like in 40K Universe? All kind of came out of this stuff. I started reading this book before I even had an army in 40K. <laughs> so that was one of the things it did, too, was inspire me to get into the game. And, my, yeah, my brother John actually recommended... He, would, he had read it first. And, he's, and he was one... And we were playing 40K. And he was like... Troy, you got to read this book. This is the first book that I feel like captures what mm. we what we're playing. Like this mm-hmm. really is it. Uh, and I recently re-listened to it because now it's out yes. on Audible. I, I and read it, all. You know, and listen it, to it. I'm ama- again. This is twenty some years. It stands up. I think it stands up. I think it again. 
there's some things, but kind of because it's in kind of this trooper on the ground trench kind of warfare, it still stands up. I would so I just yeah, think it still absolutely. really recommends. And the whole it's my probably my favorite series, uh, the yeah. fifteen books, and Abnett does a good job of it's every book he kind of takes a like it's a different like he goes at different. It's not just. Mm-hmm. Imperial Guard shooting their latest can you know, it's not that he always kind of, there's one that's kind of a horror one. There's one that hits some of the, and kind of the known thing for this is the body count. Like oh, he does that, the, like no one is really safe. Like you don't, you know, it, you, there people die and characters that have been for books and like whatever, books. all of a sudden, what? what? And you're like, as you do have to pay it, it's not just always the guy in the red shirt that's dying. It's like, you do yeah. have to kind of pay attention, which I think he's is, is, is set that in. And it is 15 books, um, and it he kind of has brought it to kind of... There's a, a stopping point in the mm-hmm. honor, but it gives him... There's still something... It'll be interesting to see if he does ever kind of come back mm-hmm. to it. Which, so, again, if you're looking for a series that does kind of, like, not go on forever, yeah. <laughs> it, I mean, all the 15 books is pretty close to forever. So, um, And then the next two books are really related. These mm-hmm. are books about... Two Inquisitors. One is Eisenhorn and the other is Ravener, mm-hmm. who was Eisenhorn's protege. And the first book for the Eisenhorn trilogy is Xenos, and the first book for the Ravener series is Ravener. Uh, and I think it's very important that you read Eisenhorn before mm-hmm. you read Ravener. Yep. Don't you, Troy? Yep. I, I think that's... You can't... You won't understand really what's happening mm-hmm. with Ravener if you don't. Another thing that's really nice about the Eisenhorn-Ravener series is... Uh, both those series is that there are a lot of short stories mm-hmm. that are there that help. If you get... Like, you read the first book and you're like, oh, that's not enough. Or you read the last book in the Eisenhorn and you're like, I need more. There's other right, books. Yep. And he actually... There's a fourth book. I didn't think about it. Magos. Magos, yep. Was the last um, book that he wrote about Eisenhorn. So... Very excellent. If you want to understand the Inquisition in the 40K, you know, universe, these are books that are just essential reading. Yep. And and probably Eisenhorn again, one of my top series. Again, Abnet again. And again, it created, (laughs) and I don't even want, I want the, again, very early, it's probably in the early 2000s when this Mm -hmm. series kind of came out, Mm -hmm. uh, still stands up today. And again, it was just fleshing out kind of, this is the back alleys of 40K, right? This is yes. not the battlefield. Yeah. This mm-hmm. is the back alleys that, uh, that we didn't see before. And and that's what he fleshes yeah, out. And then Eisenhorn is just a great character. Yeah, you just made a point, a good point. Yeah. Like with Gaunt and Kane and all these books we're talking about so far, you don't really see Space Marines that much mm-hmm. at all. Once in a while, they'll pop into a story. But really, this is the non poster boy kind of yep. uh, reading that we can do. The next one is. I'm, I'm actually starting to reread his books. And the next character is Uriel Ventress. He is a uh, Ultramarines captain. And the first book in his series is Nightbringer, which I just finished. Oh, man. And I started reading. I'm, I'm going to read all six okay. of his books, just like I read all the Ragnar books. Yeah. Because next month, this month, they're going to be releasing the next yeah. Uriel Ventress book. So I'm very, very excited about that. If you're, you want to understand uh, Space Marines at all, really... Again, it's Graham McNeil, and he just, in the first book, 90% of it is not even about the title character thing, the Nightbringer. Mm-hmm. It's all no, these no. other things that are going on, all, all the politics Text. on an imperial world that are going yeah. on. Is, it's fascinating. Yeah, I really recommend Your Real Adventures. You'll, you'll love him as a character. Yep, and again, that's an old, right? An older, older very, very old. Because that's the only yeah. one I've read in that series. I read Nightbringer way mm-hmm. back in the day, and I have the other ones literally sitting on my shelf to yes. get to. So this, yeah. again, with the new one coming out, that could be motivation for me. But yeah. again, ultra, and I am an ultramarine kind of fanboy too. So yeah. I'm surprised. This is the gap in my reading. Yeah. But. 
It's all good stuff, man. Ragnar, black name. Space Wolf, Lord Ragnar now. He's crossed the Primaris Rubicon. He's certainly an essential part of the modern day Primaris Space Wolves environment. And he has six books that you can read. The first one is Space Wolf. And this book I think is great, Troy, because you can, it gives you an idea what it was to become a space marine. Literally from being some tribal warrior on Fenris to becoming an actual space wolf. It goes through the whole process and it's really revealing. And have you ever I've not read these. These are, these are, uh, again, a gap in my... And it's interesting to me, as old as these books are, you need to talk about how, when they were published, you get... It's very different space marine than you read about now. I mean, Ragnar felt fear. He felt he, he was a very human space marine, and you feel it in the writing. And that's what's really cool about him as a character, I think. The next character we're going to talk about is Elizabeth Beckwin. Now, she is very closely related to Eisenhorn and Ravener. So if you're interested in the Eisenhorn books, probably you should read, what do you think, Troy? Probably you should read at least the first or second and second Eisenhorn book before you read the Beckwin books, I think. You should read, you probably should read all six. Yeah, all all six six because it's going to, and just announced the second book. This is one where Abnett had written this quite a while back as kind of the Mm -hmm. third trilogy in that Inquisitor series. But he never, again, other things, whatever, he's never gotten back to finish that. And they just announced that we should see this year the second book in the series. Yeah, Pariah was the first book. So if you're interested in Elizabeth Beckwin as a character, Pariah will be coming out and then the next book in the series about her specifically. She's very unique of all the people we're going to be talking about because she is human. But she's not associated with the Guard. She's not associated with Space Marines. She's not associated with the Inqui- Inquisition. And in a way, she is. I mean, that's mm-hmm. she's part of the Inquisition, but she's also a blank, yep. which you'll kind of read about as you read more of these books. But that's what makes her very, very unique. And she was a essential. That's the only word to describe her part of Eisenhorn's revenue, yeah. you know, yep. retinue. A fascinating character. Really, really good stuff. The next, I think, is my favorite character yeah. in all of the heresy in 40k is Nathaniel Garrow. Garrow was a Death Guard captain, Mm. and really you get introduced to him in Flight of the Eisenstein. So if you are interested in, at that point you will have read the first three books. (laughs) This is the fourth book. You're going to meet Nathaniel Garrow and know that he is something different Mm. in terms of a space marine. He's just so unique. There are many, many stories that have been written about him, and he is just James Swallow. Correct? Yep. His Swallow books. He has, we're going to talk about, he has all these audio dramas and these short stories. There's actually a book, or if you prefer audio books, there is a book called Garrow, and it has all these little stories about him spread through everything else. But read but read Flight of the Eisenstein yep. first. You really need to, or you won't understand what's happening. The last one I want to talk about here under characters is... A Sister of Battle. And these are there are two books, I believe. I know the first is Faith and Fire. And her name is Celestia Miria, or Maria. And it's spelled M-I-R-I-Y-A. Of course, it has to be different. <laughs> so Celestia Maria. And if you love sisters or if you're thinking you haven't read any books about them or you're thinking about you've started a sister's army, you want some background, Faith and Fire is the book to pick up and start reading. There's lots of different sisters books. Yep. But these, I think, are very essential from an actual, you know, Line Sister yep. of Battle. Those are very, very good books. And the only one I was going to add on here was Aramon. 
with the oh, thousand sons is yes. john french and mm. and i i actually haven't read mm. those but again always heard really good things about oh, if you're yep. kind of thousand sons player and again this is now in the 40k kind of timeline rather than heresy but the books that john french has done on araman are amazing so. okay thank you that's a great addition yeah if we're good we're going to move on to kind of graphic novel stuff there's a few of these and I think the first one a lot of people probably have heard of is Demonifugue. And this is with the heretic saint uh, who we, yep. <laughs> we know now. There's a brand new book that just came out about yep. her. And these graphic novels are amazing. And her character is amazing. If you're interested, again, in Sisters of Battle at all, or if you're just interested in the, yep. the grim dark, uh, Demonifugue is, is worth buying. It's been reprinted in color, in I color, think, yep. now. So give that a shot. Very, very good. Uh, McCrag's Honor and Marnius Calgar, why don't you talk about those two? Sure. So McCrag's Honor happens after No No Fear, the book. And in that, basically, there's a kind of a line that kind of talks about a space battle that happens, but that's it. That's all you know about that. And basically they kind of, Abnett and Neil Roberts, if you ever seen Neil Roberts, who's the illustrator for most of the covers for the Heresy books. So he did the illustration uh, and Abnett wrote up the story. And again, it's total side fluff. It, there's nothing in the end, you don't really, nothing's going to happen that changes the world mm-hmm. uh, in that. But it is kind of cool to kind of see all these things happen in these characters and in that and it's and it's a very again neil roberts his art is amazing so just kind of an extra thing on the side if you do kind of like the and again i don't know even if you don't necessarily know all about the heresy and even of itself it, it's an, uh, a fun just fun little read and then marnius kelger these are the new kind of comics that marvel has come out with i think in, in partnership i think it's marvel i shouldn't get that right mm-hmm. uh, with games workshop and they're set in kind of the indominus era of of 40k and, and they've been pretty good now there's always been kind of 40k comics along the way none of them are anything to really to write home from about that i know of right, right. <laughs> and some of that there's a few other graphic novels in there there's a space wolf one that abnet did back in the day there's an inquisitor one that's back in the day that are floating out there mm-hmm. so again so somebody who's not maybe into the novel reading stuff but they still want to it's kind of it's nice because you do get a visual plus the story and again yes. i would again recommend some of the boom comic ones are probably not. I wouldn't <laughs> recommend those. But some of the graphic novels that, again, the Abnet ones or some of the or the new um, Marnius Kelgar comic, it seems like okay. people are really like that to kind of jumping in. So perfect. Okay, then let's move to standalone. We'll finish up with audiobooks and then the transition lore. So let's do standalone mm-hmm. books. There are five or six that we have listed here. The first one I'm going to jump to is called Titanicus. So, mm-hmm. listeners, if you have any interest at all in Titans, in Warhound Titans, in whatever else, Reavers, and everything else. If you play Titanicus, the miniatures game, you need to read this book. It is just so well that it's Dan Abner. Of course, you're going to get tired of us saying this, listeners, but just a wonderful book, and it gives you a great feel for Titan War and what that's about. But in the spirit of Dan Abnett, you also get the other people oh. there's there's people on the ground soldiers yeah. on the ground who have this big impact on the story overall they're mechanicus people who kind of drive some things in yeah. the story so there's all these different elements which he's just excellent at tying together yeah, yeah. and he writes all these different things happening at the same time as you're reading so that's really a good book is there any on here that you would recommend any that you want to jump on i would say like my favorite here is hell's reach which was a, a in in that space marine battle series you'll see there there's some that are just standalone battles but i mm-hmm. feel like this one kind of stands out from that series 
uh, Aaron Dembski Bowden, the Black Templar, yeah, the Black Templar, and it is just I don't know from page one to whatever, just interesting of like a typical military sci-fi war, like in the trenches. This guy trying to get kind of save kind of sell Hell's Reach, which is a I think one of the hive cities on Armageddon mm-hmm. back in one of the Armageddon yep. wars. So just really, really good. There's some, I think somebody, some, somebody's done some illustrations around. Some there of is the, actually yeah. a series, a kind of animated series mm-hmm. on YouTube, yeah. which is really, it's all black and white, very yeah. stylish, yeah. you know, stylistic. Um, but so if you're interested in that kind of a story, then that would be another place yeah. to go for it. One that I've really enjoyed was called brothers of the snake. Mm-hmm. It's about the iron snakes who are a, an ultramarines successor chapter. They're very Greek, uh, kind of their names and everything yeah. but it's just such a wonderful kind of not connected to any, so you don't have, yeah. there's no baggage with this yeah. so if you want some 40k space marine action brothers of the stake are great you get one guy literally a marine that they send to help out this planet and you're going one marine <laughs> that's kind of what they said when he got there yeah. right those kind of stories really good and it's about the iron snakes chapter so it's yeah, called it's brothers real- of the snake yeah, it's a real different. I think it's a different look at the Space Marines, right? Very, and it's it's really fun. It's a fun as a standalone, and this gives you a different. I think the Iron Snakes chapter themselves is really interesting. They are. Yeah, I think I'm, I'm sure a million people went out and then painted that chapter after they read that book. <laughs> sure. And what about your next? I'll, I'll jump to the the one here on the Angels of Darkness, which was written in 2003. Was that Gav? That was Gav. Yeah. That was like Seems one of the like first. Yeah, and Dark Angels. It was my, actually my kind of toe into the dark angels and you're like hold it there's a lot of stuff going on here that <laughs> behind the scenes which yep. again now if you read the heresy books you start to understand it but this it, it really it's kind of a small i'll call it small in scope it's really mm-hmm. a, a guy who's being held captive and a kind of a torture kind of guy and it slowly unfolds through this novel it's not a very long novel but no. again i think it's, it still holds up for, you know almost 20 years later but it was kind of that first view into that, and it still has some interesting. Yeah, again, all the stuff's still going on in the Dark Angels, so I, okay. I, I just think it's one of the outstanding books Perfect. in the history of, of 40K. And then the last one we hear for standalone is called Double Eagle. Mm-hmm. It's in the Sabbath World's Crusade, mm-hmm. and it's about if you're again a miniatures mm-hmm. player for Aeronautica, if you play mm-hmm. that, this is a book you need to read because it's about yep. the Imperial Air Force basically and yep. how they interact in a campaign and great ending to the book it's it just really really a good story and it's again it's one of these that doesn't isn't necessarily you like you could take it out of if you didn't know yes. it was a 40k book yeah. you wouldn't know it's a, like he kind of goes at it I always, I always think of it like this could be a world war ii and i think that's what his yeah. style was yeah. he's like i'm gonna take the world war ii a world war ii story and tell it in the 40k because it <laughs> Again, very character-driven. Again, there's a battle there, and there's a lot of things, but there's a lot of character interaction. I, I feel like there's actually a love interest in that in that story somewhere. Yeah, Again, bit. so it's a, a, one of these that's a little different from what your typical, like, let's go up and shoot people with uh, with bolters kind of story. Great. So let's go to transition lore, and then we'll finish up with audiobooks. Everybody's yep. like, wow, I can do it quick. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about audiobooks. This really has to do with the transition from 40K to the Indominus era, which we're in now. The Cicatrix Maledictum, the huge warp Mm -hmm. rift that was created, the Great Rift. The first part of this, Troy, you listed it, which was perfect, Mm -hmm. is there was a group of books called Gathering Storm. And all these books kind of got you ready for Mm -hmm. what was coming. It got you ready for Indominus. It 
kind of set the stage for all the changes that were going to happen for Gilliman coming back and all those things. So if you're interested, and it's called Gathering Storm, see which ones interest you and pick them up. I I think you can take them individually and you don't lose anything. Yeah, and they're kind of three bucks. The one, I mean, spoilers, the first one, you know, is the Falcadia. The second one, the, the oh, Eldar God Death. Yes, uh, I know she, comes, she comes, and she's integral in getting Gilliman kind of resurrected, okay. if you want right. to call it that. And then the third book is really the return of Gilliman. of Gilliman, okay, uh, and some of that. And again, there's their combination fiction rule book, mm-hmm. but they, and nowadays though right, you don't read the rules; they're all. <laughs> but they they were kind of moving ahead, and I think, and then now they there are some novels. I think especially in the Cadia. The things, the events that happen at Cadia that are also standalone that are floating out there. We talked about the fact that these kind of books, the Psychic Awakening books and mm-hmm. these kind of things were, because they had rules incorporated, yeah. were kind of the precursor to what they do over in Sigmar. You know, what they're doing in Sigmar with Broken Realms, where you yeah. have the lore, but then you have some rules to go along with it to relate yeah. to that lore. So I think that was a model, an early model for Sigmar, which has been very yeah. refined compared to some of the earlier other books. So we got Gathering Storm books. Another one is Devastation of Ball. If you're a Blood Angels guy or gal and you love that chapter and you want to build some Blood Angels, you need to read Devastation of Ball because, again, it's a transition from 40K to Indominus. I think it's really, really important to understand why the Blood Angels and Dante made the choices they made afterwards to kind of buy in to Gilliman's plan. And... Yeah, really good book. If you're blood, if you're not a Blood Angels person, you, you probably yeah. won't. It's not essential reading. For yeah, sure. it's not essential. It does a good job of, I think, understanding like what does the world look like after the Great Rift, right? Yes. I think and it was one of the first books that that I read. Like, oh, hold it, like things things are actually worse than we think they're. Right? <laughs> yeah. and, you know, and really, and also, and yeah. kind of yeah, how on on the edge actually the Blood Angels were because they were, you know, they were on in, in dire straits, and then the Tyranids decided to just try and overwhelm them so yes uh, so it's like i like that book there's a dark imperiums also the mm-hmm. in that kind of describes kind of what happens after the rift and kind of mm-hmm. it was that book to try and describe eighth edition if you want to think about that right. way of 40k i was average on that one i think it's okay and megan maybe it's just uh, i like the flesh too every, and every successor chapter of the blind angels basically appears in that book too so if you're at all in a flesh, the, a flesh there or anything else like that you'll be sure. excited so Okay, so we have two collections of stories, right? We have yep. Nexus and other stories and Crusade and other stories. Right, and actually, and so this I'll actually tip people away, because Crusade, that Crusade and other stories is actually kind of sold as kind of like, hey, here's an introduction to 40K. This is our, my warning, saying actually stay mm-hmm. away from that. It's kind of all over. There's a couple good stories in there, mm-hmm. but I don't, I, so that's all I'll say on that one. It's kind of like, okay. if you, even though you see it as like, hey, here's a way into 40K kind it's of lore, not, it's not great. It's not the best, I think. Some other things there. Nexus and other stories, I think, is a better one. That's funny is the actual the first novella, which is Nexus. I think is kind of funny. It's okay. It's an average story. It's basically my. It's an advertisement for the Indominus box. Basically, basically every miniature that shows up in the Indominus box is in that story. I think it's kind of funny as you as knowing that, uh, which is kind of probably pretty intentionally. I would have to imagine. It is is kind of funny. uh, These things are likely related. Yeah, yeah. and so it's kind of funny. That said, there are then then there's a bunch of short stories kind of and and i'm finding those actually really interesting and they have a there's and there's and some of them are re, there's a recycled abnet eisenhorn story in there mm-hmm. i didn't mind because it's one yeah, of the ones i love like it's that and there's an imperial pilot like i think they did a good job and then part of that too as a introduction and i think 
trailer for each one of the short stories, they actually do kind of like we're doing. They kind of say, if you want to read more, here's some other books about okay. the Necron. And they kind of do touch on different, you know, there's Nexus Eldar story in there and stuff okay. like that. So, so I think that one is a decent jumping in point and it will give you some more points to jump so that's off Nexus of. and other stories. Yep. Okay. Now, there's going to be some controversy with this, but I'm just going to tell you... Being a reader of the lore, as I know you mm -hmm. are, I believe we've, we've already mm -hmm. got two books. We're going to get a third book by Guy Haley. The first one, which we have, was Dark Imperium, and then we have Plague Wars. Mm -hmm. We're going to get yep. a third book. I believe that you need to read these books that we're going to talk about next before you read those. You really do. So this is a new series called the Dawn of Fire Trilogy. The first book was Avenging Sun, and now on the shelves is Gates of Bones. The Gate of Bones. These, I think, are much more critical in terms of understanding the Indominus Crusade, Gilliman coming back. And really, to me, they predate the Dark Imperium <laughs> books. So if you're going to uh -huh. decide, if you haven't read any of those books yet, and I think I talked about this in another episode in terms of reading order, read Avenging Sun, read Gates of Bone. I know there's going to be one other book. Then think about reading the Guy Haley books, Dark Imperium and Plague Wars. Then it'll make much more sense, I think, to you. No, that's when, good. Because I have I held off on, because I found like Dark Imperium average and mm -hmm. whatever, I was mm -hmm. a little concerned about these. It's like, because it, it typically, again, maybe macro level, right? It seems like GW, like, oh, we have a new release of 40K. We need to have some tie-in books that kind of tell the story there. Mm -hmm. And it, they felt like they were very much in that kind of genre of, like, just tie-in books, not, you know, not some of the better written books that were out there. And so I held off on this because that felt like this might be in that thing. But it also yeah. felt like they've doubled down. They put much more kind of focus around these Dawn of Fire books. And I've heard good things, again, good things from you and a couple other friends yes. that have read these Just uh, so seem happy. So I think, yeah, steering people towards these will really help kind of, again, it, where is 40K right now in ninth edition, the Indominus era, mm -hmm. kind of seems like these books are doing that. So. Okay. I might have to start reading them. Yeah, that'd be great. I'm, I'm anxious to hear what you think. We're going to finish up with some audio dramas, and we'll try to be relatively quick with these. These are all just bits and pieces, and most of these are an hour long, most of them. Mm -hmm. Just audio dramas. They're not audio books. So an hour. I mean, on the way to work, you know, or to and from work, you can listen to one of these stories and get a real good feel for 40K and get a real good feel for some of these characters we've talked about. So the first one that we're going to talk about real quickly is Heart of Rage. <laughs> and it is a Blood Angels story. It's only about an hour. Of all these that we're going to list, and some of these are just amazing, <laughs> it is my favorite. If you want to understand 40K, listen to Heart of Rage. It has got a psychic powers. It's got the Imperial Navy. It's got Tyranids. It's got Mechanical. It's got everything. And the characters are just amazing, especially the librarian, Garrus Nord. By the end of the book, you're going to be like, oh, man, this guy's awesome. I hope I can learn more about yep. this. So Heart of Rage would be my first book I'd like to is talk about. Is that one also in a Hulk? I always want to feel like there is. Don't think, oh, no, they're going into it. They are. Okay. No, it's a Tyranid ship. Tyranid ship. All right. In my head, I always think yeah. of it. I'm like, all right, they're fighting Tyranids. Yeah. Yep, that's why I remember. It's one of my favorites ship. also. Yeah. yeah, it's beautiful. And, of course, our, one of our very favorite guys, Toby Longworth, does yeah. this one. The next book, it's a Gav Thorpe story. If you're into Death Watch or you think you might enjoy it, it's called Death Watch Mission Purge. One of the reasons I like this story is the interaction of the characters. Uh, there's just there's some humor in there right. just the way the voices are done and everything it's just a yeah. fun listen yeah. it really is <laughs> just some great stuff and it's so good it, so it's called Death Watch Mission Purge um, the next one is Eye of Vengeance and it is about a very famous Space Marine Scout called Tarius Tellion <sighs> what a 
uh, it is a great introduction to Talion, and he's a legend in the Ultramarines called Eye of Vengeance. And Sean Barrett is the one who introduced um, does this book, and he's probably one of my favorite top two or three narrators. Fireborn, if you are a Salamanders kind of person, you need to listen to Fireborn. It's awesome. And Sisters. There's Sisters in it, too. Hmm. Sisters of Battle in it. Really, really good. Hey, you've listened to most of these, haven't you? I, some of them? The last two I haven't. Okay. Fire Range and Death Watch, okay. I both have. Um, Labyrinth of Sorrows. So if you are a Raven Guard or if you're a Death Guard person, <laughs> you might want to listen to this. It's really good. Again, it's a Sean Barrett book. Uh, it's the first one I ever listened to from him and really loved it. Also, the Brazen Minotaurs are that. Hmm. Don't know anything about them other than the story. The next book is excellent. The next audiobook. It's called The Devil You, you Know. know <laughs> and it is a Caiaphas Kane yep. story. We talked about him earlier. Troy, you've listened to it now. I've listened to it, yeah. This is one again, that was my getting in on Caiaphas Kane. And it's just entertaining. It's like it, it's cool to have that stuff come off the page because it is there is this comic element to a very serious, life threatening kind of situations. And it, it, it's super entertaining. And again, the the voice acting's great. They have additional sound effects. You know, it's just a good, entertaining. You know, there is book. this one time when the when the witch, when the Eldar mm-hmm. witch laughs, and you, like if you're anywhere in the house and she laughs, it's just like bone chilling. Yeah. It just yeah. it was so great. I think it's Beth Chalmers. I think I'm mm-hmm. not sure she, if it's her that did the voicing, but she did such a great job. And we'll we'll come back to the Garo stuff. So the voice. Why don't you talk to us about the last three? Because I haven't listened to any of these. Uh, so the voice is a, actually a Sisters of Silence audiobook, and you're like, it's hold it. Okay. So it's and it's not. I think GW actually did a April Fool's joke where they did release like a three minutes of silence okay, as sure. an audiobook at one point. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but initially, you're like, hold it. How can you do an audiobook of this? They don't talk. And so if you don't know, this is not. They don't talk. They don't speak. They use sign language and things like that. So you're all. You're basically in. I believe in this woman's head, the sister son's head for most of the book. And mm. then she has a neophyte or one of her adepts who actually can talk and some of that. But a real, and, and then just a really good story um, this, about, yeah, it comes out almost of, a horror. I mean, it's almost on the edge of it being kind of horror kind of stuff. What's unique so. about the Sisters of Silence? So people might want to. Oh, so it. they are kind of psychically null, you know, kind of, we talked about Elizabeth back when they are the whole group that basically is kind of counteracting psychers um, and then they're the ones who pilot the black ships um, who again round up psychers and bring back to feed to the emperor for dessert every day um, <laughs> so uh, so really interesting again I call Paula here because again there's a million audiobooks that are awesome this one was interesting because it was like how do you do this and it's a really interesting story and then the characters themselves just how does that that lane and then the next one was Our Martyred Lady, mm-hmm. which is about St. Celestine. Who's, yes. And this was kind of the, so Brendan, the similar to what they did in 40K with the full audio um, one with the, the guy who came back from the old world, the big... Gotrek. Gotrek, yeah. So similar to what they did with Gotrek where they were doing the, they didn't have Brian Blessed, but, but so basically they did kind of a full-blown, you know, voice-acted story. I think Gav Thorpe wrote this. Again, it's a good, I would say, I don't know if they executed as well as they did in the Gortrek ones, but it was pretty good. Yeah. Uh, I thought it was pretty good. And it gave you a nice, an interesting view of Celestine, and I feel like there's a couple other, which are interesting, really strong female characters uh, mm-hmm. in a 40K novel, which yep. was awesome. And then just kind of my bias, there's uh, the assassination of Gabriel Seth, who's the chapter master for the Flesh Tears. There's an, an interesting little uh short story out there kind of audio drama yeah. about him uh, awesome I think it's around the time with 
kind of the, again, Primaris trying to come into the flesh tears and maybe not being as welcome as they, they could be. But. Mm. The last one, we're not going to read through. There are okay. six audio dramas in this series. It's called Garrow Knight Errant. So if you read on the Flight of the Eisenstein and you like Garrow or you think you'd like to learn more about him, you have to read Flight of the Eisenstein first, we said. Just a warning. But once you do that and you enjoy his character, you will listen to all six of these short stories. <laughs> you just will. Uh, and it's called Garrow Knight Errant. And it's a collection. You can get these Individually, Oath of Moments, Sword of Truth, Burden of Duty, Legion of One, and then mm-hmm. Shield of Lies and Ashes of Fealty. It's interesting because Malkador is in mm-hmm. a lot of these stories. So if you want to find out a little bit more about Malkador, mm-hmm. the sig- Sigilite, these are a way to get some context for Malkador. Yeah, and it was, again, it was fun. I don't know, you, Dan, like when they actually came out in the time, they were very much spaced out. And it was, and it kind of, we, we, you know, we kind of had Garrow back in the Eisenstein novel, and then we didn't hear about him for a while. And then all of a sudden, every year or so, they drop one of these short stories and they need move the things again and they never leave them in a good place. Like, whoa, no. And then a little, they drop another one a couple you know, months or years later and as, as they've kind of filled it out. Yeah. And so it was really kind of fun to kind of go through that, that journey with them. But now, again, it's awesome. Yeah. And it's nice. And to then see he, them. Again, it appears in the Siege books, again, very prominently, so it's nice to... Awesome. Yep. All right. I think that's it. I think so. That looks like all the words on these pages. Wow. So, So, Brennan, are you going to read one? Listen to one? The one I had highlighted to look into was Buried Dagger. So, maybe. It's a hard maybe. (laughs) It's on Audible. Oh, terrific. I have some Audible tokens. Coupons. (laughs) If you will. Awesome. We're going to take a break. We're going to move into the scriptorium. And yeah. Etc. 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 Yeah. Scriptorium. New releases. Dan. So we have two books, basically. We have The Gates of Bones, which is the Dawn of Fire book two, is now on the shelves. And we also have one called Deacon of Wounds, which is a Warhammer horror book. And it is also out uh, and on the shelves. So it's there. And if it's on the shelves, most likely it will shortly, if it is not already, be on Audible or some other audiobook thing so you can listen if they have interest for you. And we just mentioned the Dawn of Fire thing in the reading section. So those are the two new releases this week since last show. All right. And Troy, what have you been reading, listening, watching? I will... So reading, we are... I'm in the middle of uh, what we're doing, our little BOD book club book, which is Fool's Gold, The Dragon Lords, Volume 1. And this is... I call it... It's probably a dysfunctional D&D party who live in a world where... It, the interesting premise is I don't is know a functional D&D I don't know, party. Right. And it, it does remind me of our party in oh, some good. respects. <laughs> so really funny. I'm enjoying it because they, they do a little tongue-in-cheek. Uh, they do use drop uh, like the F-bomb every once in a while. So it, I've laughed out loud a lot at this book. And, but it's in a world where basically dragons have kind of... The dragon consortium has... They are the rulers. They kind of came in and it's like, well, the best way for us to get a horde is we'll just tax people. So that's kind of the the premise of this. And then this kind of party kind of stumbles together and they like think, well, maybe robbing one of these dragons might be a good idea. And in typical D&D party bad plan fashion, it, it, it snowballs from there. So I'm really kind of enjoying it. We were looking for just kind of a fun kind of romp fantasy and it's definitely fulfilling that bill. So And then... 
watching, I haven't watched a whole lot of stuff. I think WandaVision is probably the one thing mm-hmm. that I'm just super excited about. It's been so that's the Disney Plus kind of the Marvel the cinematic, Marvel universe. cinematic universe kind of lead up to we think the next Doctor Strange movie, but just outstanding. Uh, they were, you're, I think, episode five released Friday. They're not wasting a line or a scene. It, like, okay. it's like everything is tying out, you know, everything has a meaning, everything's not, nothing's done. I think it's just so that's cool true. to see. The writing be, be so good and then the acting and it, to have all the again the all the budget at your disposal of being disney i think is the disney and marvel <laughs> to do that and uh so that so i recommend that if people are in kind of in the marvel cinematic universe and other than that i'm like my wife kind of i've been watching she's been catching she's been watching cobra kai so i've been watching mm-hmm. over her shoulder mm-hmm. and it's if you grew up in the 80s I just laugh because the music and the way it, I, I can't say it's a good show at all, but it, <laughs> it, I wander in and I watch an episode. She watching, she's watching them all. I kind of watch every other one. Maybe I don't think it's I'm funny. missing anything, but mostly I'll laugh because there'll be some big kind of '80s music blaring out of the. I'm like, oh, mm. must be a must be a fight scene or an That's homage. So terrific, Dan. What have you been reading, listening, and watching? Listening, I have put the blade itself on hold again because I'm listening to the third Prince Roger book. Great. Just like the first two and I'm really happy I'm diving back in. There's one more after this so I'll have that finished and I still recommend it. Watching, I finished the first quote season of Love, Death and Robots. There were 18 short stories and I was really disappointed. Let's put it that way when I found out there were no more. I thought there was a season two and all of a sudden it said season two coming soon. I'm like, no! Because I was just having so much fun watching it. It's very very cool and I've also started watching re-watching Lord of the Rings while I'm on the rowing machine it's perfect yeah. thing you know it just time just passes and all of a sudden wait a minute that was supposed to be a 10 minute <laughs> interval and now it's 20 minutes yeah. what so that's really cool I'm enjoying that a lot reading I have actually um I'm reading three books at a time, and that's why I'm not, unfortunately, <laughs> going to be able to join you guys this month. I'm going to miss the discussion. But I'm reading the Uriel Ventress books again, so I just finished the first one. Nightbringer. Nightbringer. And then I'm reading the one, Warriors of Ultramar, which is, I think is a Tyranid book. So that I'm reading. I'm reading, still reading my Google book, Life After Google, about halfway through mm-hmm. it now. And then we went to the library, and I usually don't pick anything up at the library, but I always go with Cindy, and she gets stuff. They had another book by Brian Herbert, Herbert's son of Dune fame, and he and his partner uh, Kevin Anderson wrote another book, and it's focused on Duke Leto mm. and his life kind of prior to Dune. It's kind of a prequel, uh, but it focuses around him and just the way, I mean, there's so much controversy between the Dune purists <laughs> and people who actually just enjoy the lore right. and they enjoy the story because Brian Herbert and Kevin Anderson, basically they wrote a prequel, many prequels, and then they wrote a sequel which actually ended the story, right. which was amazing. The two books that were the sequels were just like, oh, this is, finally we've got some closure, right. right? This is another one of those kind of books. It's a prequel kind of book and really, really good. But I saw it and I had to grab it because right. their writing style is so different right. than Frank Herbert's mm-hmm. writing style. All those things are going on for me. Wow. That mm-hmm. is a lot of stuff. Uh, listening, I am continuing to listen to American Prometheus. I have about nine hours left. Mm. It's been a great listen while I shovel my driveway, <laughs> uh, which I've had to do a lot of here recently. I've been able to do a lot of listening. 
believe our Discord chat had a nice shoveling discussion the other day. <laughs> oh, I saw it. Funny. And was it you, Troy, who suggested the use of a flamethrower? Uh, I don't know. I wasn't, but I should have. That was a good. It's a good. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Somebody. Uh, I saw that. That's so funny. So we have that. As far as watching goes, I really have not had any shows that I've been watching. I recently saw that The Dark Knight Rises is available on HBO Max, so I watched mm-hmm. that. I had forgotten how many like weird slow parts of their that movie there are. <laughs> but Bane is Christopher Nolan's Bane is probably one of my favorite uh, villains. Yeah. yeah. That opening scene where you are introduced to him on the plane yep. is <laughs> oh, ama- I would watch just a supercut yep. of all of Bane's scenes. Yep. Uh, yeah. And that would be fine. I would watch that probably once a week. I love that character so much. He's so interesting and criminally underused. (laughs) So that's kind of it for me. Did you watch Wonder Woman 84? No. No. I I heard it was terrible. Terrible might be an overstatement. The first 10 or 20 minutes was good. And maybe the last... Uh, yeah, it, it, I guess it wasn't great. Wow, what it a was, glowing endorsement! Yeah, it, uh, watch the first twenty minutes, and then you could just turn it off, and then you'll be you'll be good. Okay. Yeah, it um, yeah it needed an editor. So, it definitely needed. There's a good ninety minute movie in there, but for some reason it's two and a half hours. That's so too bad because yeah. the first one was yeah it was really so good. good. Right, yeah, the first and one it, was so good. Yeah, oh, it's free, and I won't watch it. Yeah, not anymore. <laughs> I think they took it off oh, at the end yeah, of January. It's done. But now. well, now that was I'm, the only thing that I didn't. Now I'm definitely not going to watch it. I think that's it for Scriptorium, and we're going to move into this or that. All right, Troy, you're the guest. Would you like to ask your first three questions? Your sure. Question, your so am I just, we're just throwing a cry. I, I can pick either one of yeah. you guys. All right. pick, pick your targets. Make uh, them both <laughs> up to you. Target priority, your decision. Well, I think, okay, I'm going to go to Dan first. All right. Okay. And I'll just say guitar or piano? Guitar. I've always thought about learning um, like classical Spanish guitar. I thought that would be really cool at some point. Yeah. And I played the guitar in high school, but then I stopped doing it. I assume if I had spent more time, I would have gotten better. But <laughs> no, guitar for sure. All right. All right. Brendan. Yes. We kind of started on that. So DC or Marvel? I like the DC characters better. DC movies have been largely terrible the marvel movies are remarkably better so dc for characters marvel for entertainment yeah that's a good word cool all right well i'll cheat and i'll say both you can do this last one because last one's more of a question than than an either or what is your non-rpg if you couldn't play gw so non-gw non-rpg game that you would play or, or you'd be like if you dive in as much as it's you like do with Age of Sinners. Yeah, well, uh, it could be. Yeah, or, or it could be miniatures, just non RPG because I think you would say Pathfinder or D anD. D And so, <laughs> yeah, okay, I got you. Um, but yeah. something like if you if you didn't have AOS, what would you dive into that's non GW? I think A Song of Ice and Fire right now has my attention. If you'd asked me, gosh, five six years ago, I would have said Warma Hordes. Frosthaven. Right? Okay. Yeah, yep. I think yep. Frosthaven. Yep. I've thought about that yep. with the. The wizard and his little band of merry men. Yeah, so I think Frosthaven. All right, cool. Or historicals. It'd be or historicals. <laughs> saga. We had at one point Will from yeah, kind of he had kind of got us all bought into like we're gonna play Saga and and do that. Mm. And again, like anything else, I don't know that I, I might have bought the rule book. 
I didn't buy any miniatures. Other people might have actually bought miniatures, but that's again, funny. one of the what ifs. Again, it's kind of the opportunity cost of GW. Maybe sure. that's what we'll call it. <laughs> okay. I'm very invested at this point. Yeah. Dan. Okay. Your three, please. Okay. The first one's for you, Brendan. All right. There are two brand new podcasts, and you're going to choose to listen to one of them. Okay. The first one is about the origins of World War II. Okay. Or the second one that you could listen to is the origins of the Vietnam War. I think I'd want to listen to the origins of the Vietnam War because I am less well-versed in that. Okay. So the next tour for you, Troy. You have a choice between attack bikes with multi-meltas in the new yep. codex or eradicators. I'm going to go eradicators just because people... For some reason, I'm a non-bike guy. I just don't. I think they look really cool, but in my mind, I'm like, I just don't see how they fit in my arm. And I, like, I just don't. Like, I'm not a bike guy, so that's mm-hmm. really the big, the big thing. Because in the end, but I do think the model's cool and whatever. But I'm always like, I don't know. There's something about I don't know. They are cavalry, but I don't know. Okay. So, so that's what. Yeah. So I, I always just try, and it doesn't fit in my like. Oh, yeah. visual of like how I think an arm now that said maybe I would go all the way like if it was all like a cavalry army or something else like that you so, go bikes but, yeah I would go bikes, but, bikes. So, but otherwise I would say eradicators yeah. okay alright get your get your melt in there somewhere yeah okay so the next one is four months from now that's practically forever it is which would be like May 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 June it'll be above freezing are maybe. we going to be playing Blackstone Fortress or Cursed City for me yeah. I want to know what your answer is and then we can negotiate <laughs> I think it's going to be, for me, I think it's going to be Blackstone Fortress. Because unfortunately, I think all Curse City, all it's going to do is get me excited to play Blackstone. I might, that not said, it'll probably get bought. It'll probably get to the, who knows, on the shelf. It may get a player to, I don't know. Yeah, I'm probably going to dip my toe in there. I think just like now, like it's actually, like all the announcements were there. I'm, I love the models and I love that. But it's gotten me more excited to kind of pull the Blackstone Fortress stuff okay. off the shelf. Then we'll have to negotiate for every game of Blackstone yep. we play. We'll play a game of Curse <laughs> City. Yep, yep. We'll do that. Yep. So we'll both, yeah, because I'm just so pumped mm. about Curse City. Gosh, it looks just so amazing. Okay, that's it. That's my three questions. Terrific. All right, so first one here for you, Dan, is we obviously had an underwhelming FAQ that uh, regular Brendan discussed quite tersely with the audience here. Yes. What is a rule or a correction you'd like to see made, changed, or introduced into the game of Age of Sigmar? I'd like you to try and stay away from points here in this question, if at all possible. Man, there's so many things I like better about Sigmar. Uh, got him. No, oh, Brendan, that that's tough. Yeah, I think. Oh, I know. I get now. I know it. I would like, and I know it would just change the dynamic completely in the game. But I would like to see a lookout sir rule in Sigmar. They do have a lookout sir rule. It's uh, minus one to hit if you are eight wounds yeah. or less, and you aren't a monster a, or artillery keyword. A forty k style gunsir. Where you can't target if it's not the closest model. Gotcha. Yes. Yeah, that's what I think yeah. I would like to see. But again, we've talked about the effect that would have, and it would be devastating, but it would be wonderful. It would be devastating to anybody who has a shooting army. It would be horrible for them. But gotcha. Yeah, it'd be cool. All right, Troy, my next question is for you. And before we get to my question, I want to ask you a few questions here to frame <laughs> the question. You are the Bodfather because you are the originator of the Basement of Death, correct? Correct-ish, yes. Okay. And how long ago did you guys start the Basement of Death podcast? We started this version, Playing and Slaying, about 
four years ago. It'll be four years ago. We did it around Adepticon, whatever, four years ago, it'd be 2017, uh, something like that. Prior to that, we had kind of a, we'll call it very casual kind of podcast that just kind of grew up out of Josh one day, kind of like, I have this microphone, we should talk into it. And so, and we did that for not, it was only, again, probably almost five or another three or four years before. I think Planet Slam has actually outlasted. So it was about three years for that, about 30 some episodes. And then we like, hold it, let's kind of, then we just like, hey, let's get kind of serious about this or semi-serious, not that we are serious now. So, okay. So my question there is your show is airing what you are calling your 50th episode yep. uh, despite <laughs> what you're calling us despite yes. <laughs> clearly canonically it not being the case in the process what has been the most surprising change over the course of those 50 episodes maybe one that you really appreciated one that you didn't see coming what's been the change i think uh, maybe the most, i want to say one thing i know has changed is like we've tried we've gotten better at actually the recording piece of it like the technical piece and how to get good sound and, and things like that it was fun i was listening as part of 50 i was looking back and listening to one of the early ones i'm like wow we didn't do a great job some of that <laughs> on some of that stuff I'm familiar <laughs> uh, so i think that's been some of the technical ones and maybe over i'm always just surprised when we like when we have people on interview or whatever that they actually just want to talk to us like <laughs> that's always the, the interesting i mean we've had different you know we haven't had huge guests on you guys have had grand you know bigger people whatever but i'm always just kind of uh, amazed that and, and always i actually enjoy I, I like all of it but i think it always enjoyable to just kind of talk to some of these people whether it's you know whether it's the kind of the artist stuff or when we had steve on to ramble for three hours and yeah, not that was yeah. not, not the ramble was bad at all it was awesome right but I, I, that's like some of the fun part is when we've had kind of different people on to and then also ourselves just kind of talking about what's been you know kind of important to us too that's been kind of fun because that's always mm-hmm. been and that i think it's maybe kind of like always been a little bit of what uh, holds us back right we, we don't have like a niche that we focus on we kind of like it's always been mm-hmm. what is the fun part <laughs> what is the fun what do you want to talk about and if it's not fun anymore then we're not going to keep doing it so. sure uh, my last question is for uh, the both of you for those of you that oh. don't know we are uh, recording on sunday the super bowl is tonight and for those of you who like to knock uh, to mock sports it's the superb owl where i imagine <laughs> you sit in your basement and look at photos of owls for three hours to feel like you belong to a larger group i'm not sure i am unfamiliar with this tradition my question for the both of you then is what is your favorite super bowl tradition or if you celebrate you know lay witness to the superb owl what is your favorite superb owl (laughs) tradition i don't know that i have any traditions it's usually probably around the commercial it's probably around that Mm -hmm. for because really those first quarter of commercials are kind of the you're kind of watching to see there's is there anything really funny is there kind of Mm -hmm. anything there so Mm -hmm. it's almost very much less again about the game than it is around oh it's the first commercial break like what's going to be that kind of splash of the first couple commercials i don't know that i've I don't think we really watched that many Super Bowls. I mean, I think the last one we maybe watched was wasn't it Kelly and Mike's way back when Green Bay won the, the, oh my the God. Super Bowl? It was that, that long was ago, ten years ago. Yeah, it was forever. We just really haven't watched. That was a decade ago. Yeah. <laughs> to me, that's nothing. Yeah. <laughs> just saying. I think 
for me, actually, it's when I was a teacher was show, you know, doing the commercials for a lesson that day after that Monday mm-hmm. after we just went through all the commercials and everybody laughed and the students and I would convert, you know, have a conversation about what did you find funny about this or what did you, you know, that kind of thing. Sure. So it was, that was always really enjoyable and it's something they always look forward to. So I think that's probably my biggest tradition up until recently. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's it. Time to go close the show. There is something going on around here. Something you may not even know about. All right, so everyone, that was episode 67. Troy, thank you for joining us. We appreciate yes. it. Troy, thank Thanks you for, for having me again, man. That was awesome. You, you, you guys know books. I'll come and talk about books anytime. So that's a good, <laughs> especially so 40K great. books. So That was so great. Thank sure. You. So uh, looking thank forward you. to episode 68. Dan, it is my great honor and privilege to let you know that not only do we have one show covered, we have two shows covered. Brendan, explain, please. The February 13th pre-order is not only the new Hedonite yes! Smash. Yes! Yes! It is also the Daughters of Cain pre-order. Mm. Oh, wow. Yes. So It's awesome. Uh, perhaps what we'll do there, Cindy is very excited, is... <laughs> awesome. Episode 68, we can do Daughters of Cain, because that will be a likely not... Totally new premise. Mm-hmm. A lot of that is going to be from Broken Realms Marathi. That works for me. That'll give us a chance to kind of more quickly digest that information. And while Hedonites is absolutely going to include the demon portion of it, this is still a 50% new book, mm-hmm. and it wouldn't be good content to spend. 24 hours with it and feel that we know, you know, kind of the educational portion of it. So, 68, here we go. All right, Daughters of Cain. Yeah. Daughters of Cain. 69, part two. Hedon Knights of Slanesh. Nice. Awesome, man. That's that's the plan. That's all good. Everyone, thank you. We'll see you next time. Bye. (laughs) (laughs) It didn't work. I can't do it like that. This is the end.